All right, there we go. What up, what up, everybody? What up, world? Happy Friday to everybody out there. Hopefully, y'all getting y'all notifications. Coop, how you doing out there, bro? I'm doing wonderful. I am. How are you? I'm great. I'm great, man. Uh, it's always great to get Lessons. here. Like I said, when you're Lessons doing all here. the other stuff, it's like it's building up to this part of the day. But once we're here, I feel like I'm at home and we can do our show, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, blessed to be here. Definitely. Yes. Coop, uh, you going to Push the T concert tonight, right? That is correct, sir. Oh, man. Um, blessed to be there, too. Soon. Well, I'm going to be watching uh, Michael Myers with the fam tonight. I, I double booked myself. I would love to go see Pusha T rock the house and shut that shit down. Pusha T is a dope performer. He is, from what I've been told. And, you know, he's actually not too far. He's actually been up on closer to my side all day. You know, he was at Cumberland earlier today. He was at Cumberland. Which, what, oh, with the uh, meet and greet stuff? Yeah. I'm so, good. It's um, good to see the artists are starting to really connect with the fans more in that like I love that, you know. Well, um, I wanted to bring that up. I love that he's doing that. Think about this. I mean, this is I mean, this isn't a regular dude. This is like a hip hop legend. Like I think it's safe to say that about him, like, you know, like almost a quarter century into the game, or I think a quarter century into the game, just about. Yeah. You know, for him to just be willing to pull up the Cumberland today, I mean, like, I mean, Mike, just think about how many times just like you and I have just like pulled up the Cumberland, like on some humble, regular dude stuff. It's like it's like when you see an artist make that kind of move, it's like, no, 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 that's cool. An artist of his stature, like he don't have to do that, but he's in the area and in the neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? It's Hold on lovely. one second, man. Are we getting notifications? I see like one person in the room. All right. I think the notifications are finally coming out. Uh, thumbs up in the chat, y'all. They trying to. Uh, I haven't been getting the notification. But ain't been getting the notification. All right, I see that we're live. It looks like six people are watching. Shout out to everybody coming in the room. I guess everybody's coming in slowly. Um, <laughs> let's see. Let's let's give everybody a chance to get in the room. I think that's what this is. I'm actually looking for. Yeah, let me, let me go ahead and look for our. Uh, oh, there we go. I want to put our Patreon link in here since we're talking about. Haters and whatnot. You've been robbed. Yeah, I see nine people in here. Yeah, Miss Mo is in the building. What's up, Miss Mo? You know, I was actually wondering where Miss Mo was. I know I haven't been in the comments the last couple of months, like I like I typically am, but I haven't been feeling like I've been seeing Miss Mo pop up in the show as much lately. Did you guys get your um? Did you guys get y'all notifications? Because I see, like I said, it's eleven people in here. Whatever. Ben, I've been getting my notifications. You yeah, know what yeah, I'm saying? yeah. People are getting here, and um, you know, I'm sure eventually they'll send people the notifications, and people will finally come in. Who knows? But yeah, she was talking about the fact that Coop's going to Pusha T's concert tonight. Pusha T was out here doing uh, some meet and greets at Cumberland Mall, and I think that is dope. The artists are really getting in tune with their audience and meeting people face to face. Hmm. It's a good thing, man. Um, good thing. But yeah, Push puts on a, a pretty good show. He has a great catalog to cho- uh, choose from. Now people are saying they haven't gotten their notifications. Come on, yeah. YouTube. I got to holler at YouTube anyway. You know what I'm saying? So um, we'll see what's going on with that. Yeah, people are saying they didn't get their notifications. Well, thumbs up in the chat. I hear that's how we get things circulated even more. But we got a lot to talk about today, man. And I kind of don't want to mm-hmm. talk about too much too, too early. 
But I guess we could start off with this. What do you want to do Monday? Do you want to do this uh, Just Blaze and Havoc? Because I've been listening to Just Blaze shit all day. Well, I mean, you know, that's fine. Okay. I'm all for that. Okay. I got some... um, I got some tricks up my sleeve, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I was waking up to some some jigger this morning, and I got this playlist that was going, and I was like, Just Blaze got some heat. No, I mean, I'm not, I, I, I get down with Just. Yeah. Just made some great stuff. Um, Why You Hate the Game with Nas on uh, The Doctor's Advocate. Love that record. That's, yeah, I think that's one of his best records. Um, I think he did, uh, I think he did Far Away for Marsha Ambrosius. Speaking of the game, speaking of the game, and I'm not going to bring up the Black Slim Shady, but I was thinking, man, I was listening to the documentary, (laughs) and I was like, I wonder if Coop had put you on the game on his list. What? When you were doing the Timbaland joint. Yes. How come that didn't make it? Okay, so you want to know how I feel? I love that record. But I was also on the West Coast when that record dropped. So I didn't know how biased I was to the record. And also, too, wasn't sure about where it placed in Timberland's beat selection catalog, too, when I was looking at the best of the Missy stuff. And then I was thinking, well, these Missy records are bigger records, mm. which they were. You know what I mean? So I kind of like at the end of the day, I chose the bigger records. Well, I think when I was going the rap approach, I, I was thinking like, damn, why didn't he play that record? Because I think well, I, mean, I, I, I heard Ride or Die Chick this morning, and I thought about putting you on the game. And Ride or Die Chick I, actually what, is okay. What, it's an okay beat. What do you feel like uh, put you on the game with a beat that you, that you chose, like on the rap format? Like, do you think that's better than Chinese New Year? You feel me? Well, you beat Chinese New Year anyway. Right, but like, I'm just, you know, like... I mean, I love the fact that you play in the club up against Pussy, but I think that put you on the game... Could have went up against one of them clips. You know what? I think it could have went against Trouble on My Mind. Mm. Touche. Yeah, I think it could have went against that. And I think it would have beat that, actually. Not certain about that, but I feel, but I feel, but I feel you, though. Man, you Pusha, have to just, point. Pusha just came in so hard on Trouble on My Mind. That's why I'm saying it's like, no, I hear you, but you yeah. know, nigga, it's yeah. the blackout. Rory with the back out, showing my black ass. Yeah. Um, look, I'm I'm made a um, I made I misspoke. Excuse me on Wednesday. Jeezy wasn't coming out today. Jeezy's coming out next week, and so is Amani Caesar. That's next week, and the There's week after else that, I feel like it's dropping next week too, Mike. I think so. Uh, I, I, it'll come to me in a minute. But Hitler wears her man's 10 is coming the week after that. You hear about that? No, I didn't. You didn't hear about that? No. Yeah, West Side Guns dropping Hitler wears her man's 10 the following Friday on the 28th. 10? 10. That's what he said. Wasn't it just 8, though? I think A and B might have been 8 and 9. Copy that. I think that's how they're going because they said 10. And I saw Rome Streets. Um, did it say 10 or did it have an X? Like No, nah, they just wrote out uh, 10. No Roman numerals or anything. Michael Sanders saying what I'm saying. I'm ready for this Imani season. I'm really looking forward to it. Willie the Kid? Willie the Kid dropping something? Okay. 
feel like somebody else. I think um, they're saying that um, Gibbs is dropping the deluxe. That should be interesting too. What you do when you drop the album of the year? Do a deluxe though? Hey man, deluxes are, I mean, I could tell that he had more in the chamber. Dope album. Um, We're going to talk about him briefly if we have time, but yeah. I want to start with this this Nicki and Lotto thing. Have that. What's good, everybody in the live chat, man? Uh, Thumbs up in the chat. Uh, People ain't getting their notifications. You know, people are slowly coming in. (laughs) I think we're cool. that, let's rock and but yeah, we in there. This Nikki and Lotto thing for the people who aren't uh, abreast of this situation, basically they've been going back and forth since yesterday, and mm-hmm. the issue. Well, I guess everything started with the fact that the Grammys they took Nicki Minaj's song "Super Freaky Girl" out of the rap category because they said that her record was too pop. Mm-hmm. And uh, in in her, I guess, rebuttal to the Grammys, she mentioned she mentioned Mulatto's record. She mentioned um, 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 what's the uh, the uh, Big Energy, and yes. basically saying that that record, if it's in the rap category, then her record should be in there too because that record's poppy or whatever. She's kind of been throwing subliminals at uh, Young Lotto for a minute. Yeah, and yeah, so, sounded like you know what I heard. I heard hate, hate, hate. <laughs> so I heard I was like, oh, hate, yeah, hate. yeah, yeah. And so Lotto <laughs> comes back, and then <laughs> they just <laughs> and then they just been going back and forth or whatever. Hate, hate. And and what's unfortunate about this, and what I think is unique about this, is this is somebody in Lotto that has over. I mean, just her whole career. Even when people saw her on that uh, reality show trying to make it, she's always giving Nikki her props. And she's always. always talked about how Nikki was a big inspiration to her. And she was the mark. She wanted she didn't even act like she wanted to beat Nikki. She wanted to, you know what I'm saying? She idolized Nikki, right? And for for Nikki to come at her in that way, it's it's next level, man. Because it's one thing that when you came in the game. You didn't give Kim her necessary props. And everybody let you get away with that. You know what I'm saying? Like people in the media and radio, they let Nikki get away with shitting on Kim and stealing Kim a lot of Kim's moves and not giving her props for it, right? And now things have come around. And I think what really hit me and why we're even talking about this, because we don't really like to take on like, quote unquote, gossipy stuff. And I don't even want to call it gossip just because it's female MCs, because this could actually go on wax just like any other um, situation. But when Nikki invoked the fact that she said that Lotto was age shaming her for calling her grandma, I was like, this is hip hop, man. And I know I've heard Nikki give some, you know, when Nikki was younger, give some bars at older rappers. I feel like that happened even in the Remy situation. I could be wrong. And it's like, it's one of those things where when people are in their primes, they have no problem going at their elders in that way, you know. And But when they get older, they want everybody to... Now they want the respect that they should have been giving to others beforehand. 
And Nikki even brought up Lauren Hill's name. It was like, do we call Lauren Hill a grandma? Because, you know, I worship the ground that Lauren Hill walks on. She said, I never disrespected my, uh, you know, the people that came before me. And I'm like, wait a minute. What, what about Lil' Kim? What? It's crazy how people forget and how people pick and choose. And and she's coming at Lotto the same way that I'm mean, not even the same way. This is different because Lotto has given her respect. She's coming at Lotto like she's the young and that doesn't respect their elders. And it's like, do you remember what you did? Do, do you remember what you're still doing? Not she still hasn't made amends with Kim in that way. And I and it's one thing to disagree with somebody and really not be on the same page as somebody, but to deny the influence that person has had on you, that's disrespectful to the legacy and her impact. Because if you didn't fuck with Kim like that, whatever, that's cool. You could just be like, you know what? We don't really see eye to eye, but she's been a big influence on my career. I wouldn't be here in this capacity without, you know, the groundwork the little Kim put down. She's never even done that. And when you do things like that, when your time comes, it's going to be worse. Oh, 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 oh. She pulled the age of... The age shame and shit. Seriously? I would like to say, are you done... No, no, yeah, I'm done. Go ahead. First of all, oh, what goes around, what goes around, it must, it must come back around. Yeah. Such is the nature of life. Such is the nature of this world that we live in and we exist. What you do unto others is going to get done unto you. So you should be mindful of how you treat people on the way up. Yep. Because on the way down, you might be finding yourself subject to some of that same treatment. And here's the thing about it. You're inciting the treatment. (laughs) Like the nerve. It's not like she's coming for you. Right. And it's not like she never gave you respect. Like she's giving you respect the whole time. Publicly. She posted pictures of her as a child with her barbs, chain, everything. She did this. Yes. Without your, like, just because she loves you, Mm -hmm. apparently. Things that you should have done when it came to Kim that you never did. Oh, it's very problematic. (laughs) This is the problem with Nikki. She's threatened by everybody. She was threatened by Kim. She was threatened by Cardi. Because really, the industry tried to give her an out when Cardi came in. They wanted her to do a peaceful transfer of power. She refused to do so. And so this is where we're at. It's like, okay, you you don't want to give it up to Cardi? Well, here comes a Megan. Here comes a Lotto. Here comes a Doja Cat. Doja Cat does everything that Nikki tried to do on a radio level better than her. It is what it is. I don't, you know, I don't vibe with some of the things Doja Cat says. But when you turn on the radio, Doja Cat's all over that bitch with quality pop records. And she can rap too. I I cannot uh I cannot um cannot deny any of those sentiments you just expressed, <laughs> Mike. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you want me to do? And to come at the <laughs> Grammys, I 
this is my thing. It's very with, problematic. With I'm not joking. It's very problematic how she's behaving. Somebody like, said like, this, talk, man. Like, we, we about to have the... Hmm. It was like the whole thing that we talked about on Wednesday with King and, 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 and what's his face. It's like, I was like, hold on. I was like, who, what age and who, what age? Like, like you doing what with who? Like, for real, that loves you, you doing what with who that loves you? It's like, oh, it's like, oh, you tripping. <laughs> <laughs> and not to mention, we're talking about somebody who's 23 years old. No, that's part of the reason that you tripping. We just had yeah. this conversation about dude the other day. It's like, how old is King? I was like, oh, he's 18. It's like, oh, are you doing this with somebody that age? It's like, cause yeah. I look at people that age and I laugh at them when they try to do things with me like that. I go, oh, oh, oh slow down. You well, you have to think that the reason why she's even coming at Lotto in this way, because she feels threatened and she feels that, you know, even with her saying about <laughs> being age shame, she feels like the industry is pulling that age thing on her. Where they're letting Lotto's song get in a category that her song is not able to get in because she's young and popping. But see, this is the thing. When you were younger and the industry, you were by yourself in the mainstream when it comes to female MCs. You the industry was throwing us, throwing us Nicki Minaj over and over and over for five, six years straight. You didn't have a problem with that. And when that's Mike, over, oh, go oh, ahead and Mike, transfer that power. It was more it than was that. like eight or nine. It was. It was like eight or nine years straight. It wasn't no five or six. You're right. It was like eight or nine years straight. I remember she was winning BET awards for best female art, um, artists or whatever. They had literally nobody in the categories. And I say that respectfully. People who just had a verse here and there or people who didn't even have projects. I, you remember Diamond from uh, Crime Mob? She was in the Remy category. I think Remy was in jail. I think Remy was in prison and got nominated one time. I was like, hold on. I was like, where did they get Remy bars from? I was like, oh, Remy's locked up. I'm like, look, if y'all not going to recognize Rhapsody, who was making records at the time, and recognize some of the, you know what I'm saying, grassroots or underground uh, female MCs, or I would say lesser mainstream female MCs, then y'all need no. to take out the category altogether. You know what I'm saying? I, I remember Jean Grey getting nominated one year, I feel really? like. I do. I feel like she got nominated one year. If I'm wrong, correct me and we'll um, do some research and check. I feel like she got nominated one year. Peter Park says, uh, Nikki is right about the wrongful categorization of the Grammys, though. I, I, listen, the she Grammys is the assertions, But that's not the first time somebody's made those assertions as well. Exactly. This is my thing, man. Who are the Grammys to say somebody's not rap enough and more pop? But again, these are the records that Nikki put down and you know what like I said if Doja Cat made this same song and she was in a rap category everybody would be up in arms correct well here okay correct to that because that's you happened know, you know you, you know it's funny like um we have some followers of this show like you know you know and I'm thankful for this and you should be too that really follow like things that go on in the industry and have people that go on in the industry and some of those people have started uh to talk to me more behind the scenes lately you know about some of the nuances about how some of the things work mm -hmm. and all i have to really say is is that well you know some of the stuff that we like our conspiracy about oh it ain't no conspiracy <laughs> you know 
you know, like, I don't know how else to say it. Like, when people are popping up, like, multiple people are starting to prop up in my DMs. Like, hey, Coop, did you know this? Like, whoop, 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 whoop. And I'm like, oh. I'm like, that's what me and Mike thought it was. <laughs> They're like, yeah, that's why we're sharing it with you. Like, you dude's not tripping. Like, we yeah. have we have people who follow us because they follow the industry and know how the industry works. And, like, some of the stuff that we talk about is actually very much accurate with, uh, without us having those uh, direct resources. And the more we kind of, like, hit the nail on the head it seems like more of those people seem to start popping out and sharing information. Yeah. Well, it's great stuff. And we're finally able to talk to the people yeah. and speak with one another without the buffer of like mainstream. Media. How about this? The, you know what? Every time I get the information, uh, I think about red man's, uh, line on how high, which mm. is, you know, fuck a billboard. I'm a bullet on my block. Now, you know, when you paid, for your billboard spot. Yeah. Jay Short from Super Chat says, Nikki also threw shade at Aretha. Unforgivable. And Mariah Carey as well. Very problematic. And Mariah Carey as well. Like, when she disrespected Mariah Carey, I was like, I was already kind of gone with the whole Kim thing because I think that the way that whole thing was handled was disrespectful on so many levels. Like, you recreate many of her images, recreate some of her shoots, her steez with the wigs and all that stuff. And again, we all are influenced by things, but to not give this, to act like Kim wasn't there. And it's like, we give props to Foxy as we should, but she'll give props to Foxy and Lauren and act like Kim doesn't exist. And as dope as Lauren is, and we talk about Lauren all the time, we don't see Lauren in your style. So at least, Give credit where credit's due. You know what I'm saying? I think I think Lauren's just inherently empowering to women, black women in yeah, particular. Of course. And so I dig it and I understand that. You know, even for the stuff that I've had to say about like her timeliness, you I mean, like, you know, yeah. Tut, Mike, like Tut's always been like, Nick, like, watch how you talk about my girl like before I come find you. Yeah. Like, cool. So it's like yeah. I dig it. You know what I'm saying? I actually love that people feel that way about Lauren. You know no, what I mean? It's I love that cool, she but I, it comes across as you want to give them extra props to ignore Kim. And they do and she kind no, of does it oh, out oh, of oh, spite. No, she's handing out. She's handing out the shade card. Right. Mad Max with the Super Chat says. Great card. It's a great card. It looks kind of cloudy. Yeah, it's a little shady. <laughs> Mad Max says, um, to not take Nikki's side, but we don't know what uh what get what goes on behind the scenes, I think is what he's saying. Girls, uh, no respect. They all fake to each other and Caddy. Nikki probably uh, sort of guys. Nikki probably heard something and went with her nasty attitude. Oh man, these dudes do sissy shit too. It's not just the girls. <laughs> Andrew Green with the super chat says off topic, but did y'all hear that MC Search is selling his publishing rights for Illmatic and it was written? Hopefully Nas <laughs> buys it um, for owner ownership. No, I didn't hear will. about that. We're gonna talk so, about that. Yeah, we are actually going to talk about that. That's on the docket. That's a, that's a, I feel like that might be a twofold or threefold like bullet point discussion about a few things. Definitely. Um, um, what were you about to, to say? Wrap up, to wrap up the whole Nikki and, 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 and Lotto thing, just like, you know, respectfully speaking, you know, when's the last time Nikki put out uh, hip hop material that you felt like was a viable product? Because at the end of the day, we're about the music and the music is what we spin off. And you see, we have a Lotto album that I believe we gave like a 4 or 4.1 to this year. Yeah. It was pretty damn good. And 
and, and to be quite frankly, not to age her, it's like, well, when you are her age and you take issue with a young lady who is kind of shining in the same light that you have shined in, that literally has idolized you and looked up to you and never had a problem with you, you know, I mean, do, do I need to sing the words to play a hater? Do I need to do the play a hater's ball sketch from the Chappelle show? Again, hate, 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 hate. Well, this is what I was going to say, too, if we're talking about the music. There's a lot of hate going on, and it's unnecessary because it's not like Nicki doesn't have stardom, fame, multiple income streams, wealth, notoriety, viability. It's like, like, this would be different if, like, she didn't have those things, but the fact that she has those things and she's, like, engaging in this with somebody who is about, what, 10, 12 years your junior? No, actually 17. It's very problematic. Young enough to be your daughter? Like you know, Lotto said. Lotto young said, enough to be my kids? Lotto said, you talk are... Talk to him like a human being and an adult until I have to talk Lotto to him. Lotto said, like you're older than my kids. mother and you're out here bullying me online. Did she say that? Yeah. She's right. So it is what it is. But see, this is the thing, man. And I think that Nikki doesn't want to let go. But see, the problem is, have you heard the uh, Super Freaky Girl song? No. You got to grow with your audience. This record sounds like, um, what was it? The um, the song that she did with the Sir Mix-a-Lot sample. Oh, It's like, it's in that vein. They don't sound like the song, but it's in that vein. So it's like, as you, She's reaching into one of her as wills. you get older, you have to grow with your audience. You know what you I'm saying? And I, I think that that's what she has failed to do. And now you're you're still making music for that same audience that would now be listening to Lotto or listening to Cardi or listening to Megan or whatever. And the people who grew up on you, they're on something else, and they want you to grow with them. And you have failed to do that, but you want to still keep that same spot that you know. Mm-hmm. The twenty-eight-year-old Nikki was able to have, and it's just—it's somebody else's spot now. She's thirty-nine. Okay, that makes sense. So I know somebody who I used to be close to that's from New York. You know, female, mm-hmm. a little bit older than Nikki. That once used to tell me every time we used to talk about Nikki, be like, and I'm not joking, be like, "Coop, she has mental health issues." Like she, no, no, like those different personalities and voices is like, no, 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 she's really schizophrenic, bipolar. And probably on some sort of medication. Like I had, I had somebody who was like very viable, like in the world of psychology, like you know, like tell me that, like about her on multiple occasions, you know. Yeah. And so I know it's so like I think I know it's, it, and I hate this in a way. It's becoming kind of trendy to pull the uh, mental health card in the black community lately, but there is some. Uh, there is some proof, you know, to the personality and the voices and like all that. Like I told you, I was listening to my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. It starts off with Nikki, you know what I mean? And even if you watch like her, like uh, one of her biographies, it talks about how like, you know, as a teenager, she started creating all these different characters and, and voices and stuff. It's like, oh, no, no, no. Normal people don't do that. It's like you're either a genius or you have a mental health issue. And it's usually both. Usually both. Jay Short with the Super Chat says, um, is this about rap or is Nikki trying to transition to Wendy Williams slash John Rivers type of persona? Uh, is there a lane for that in hip-hop gossip thing? I mean, I think that... Cardi's better at it. 
Yeah, but see, the thing is, Cardi keeps Cardi's relationships friendly. and see Wendy no, she's Williams. She's just funny and friendly, right? It yeah. ain't hard. Yeah, but Wendy is more, Nikki is more like Wendy because a lot of people don't, you know, remember Wendy's radio days. She didn't she have a, a lot of friends. Person. She didn't she have a lot a of friends in radio. She was a radio personality first, though, and a viable one, though. But she made a lot of enemies, and she was able to transition that over to a talk show. But see, I think the difference between Wendy and Nikki, and I could be wrong, even if people in the industry didn't like Wendy, they were entertained by Wendy, and they liked Wendy as a host. I don't even know if the fans would like Nikki as a host. I don't know. I don't have any proof to say that they would, because she seems to flip on everybody. She does seem to be a little. Um, That's the reputation. And, you know, and I'm, I'm going to do this. She's combustible. She's combustible. Yes. In her defense, to a degree, I think that a lot of the things that Jay Z may, you know, have done with his vibrato and just being like, you know, dominating the rap game, I think maybe that's the type of thing that she is trying to do in her lane. But when she does it, it comes off catty. Does that make sense? Well, you, I told you that, you know, outside of literally Biggie and Tupac, Jay-Z is probably the most charismatic guy to ever touch a microphone. And I think his charisma probably transfers yeah. in real lifetime better than those two guys. And so that makes him arguably this most charismatic figure this game has ever seen, at least from the MC perspective. And so it takes some of that she does not have that like 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 and it's just been told to me jay is one of those people it's like well he knows how to speak to a wide audience but he also knows how to like single you out and like talk to you like like on your level from your perspective like he's not gonna talk to uh nas and puff the way he's gonna talk to benny and Westside. you feel me yeah Man Man with the Super Chat says, thoughts on uh, mid-babies mediocre trash <laughs> is overhyped. Talking about Lil Baby's album. We're, we're going to talk about the album. We're going to talk about the album. I mean, okay, yeah, let's transition. Where are we transitioning to? We uh, let me get the Mad Max Super Chat. He says, Mike, Nikki's audience are girls my age and maybe a bit older. Her audience ain't on something else. These girls still on my timeline praising Nikki along with the 22 and under crowd. But that's a dangerous crowd to have, especially when you got, again, you got the lottos that are 23 years old roaming the earth. You got the city girls that are under 30 roaming the earth. You know what I mean? You know, I heard somebody in the comment section of, uh, it was a gangster boo verse. Um, I forgot whose song she was featured on. But somebody was like, it had to be somebody younger, obviously. She was like, man, she out here still in uh, Megan's style. And I'm like, Megan's style is Gangsta Boo style. I've been listening to Gangsta Boo for 25 years. Megan's whole flow is Gangsta Boo. And I mean, again, and Gangsta Boo ain't got to say that. And I'm sure Megan ain't got to say it. It ain't no hate. I'm sure they're proud of each other. But I think that sometimes people get it twisted. And you have to acknowledge the people that paved the way for you in a certain to a certain degree. But I guess even in this situation, when you acknowledge the people that still snap back at you, 
I want to listen. I don't care, man. I'm gonna keep it real, and I'm gonna say it like I would say if it were anybody else. I would like to see a diss record out of this. Keep it on wax. Why not? But you know, in my experience in hip hop, man, the older MC, you're not really gonna stand a chance with the younger, hungry MC. It's gonna be very difficult. And the younger MC usually has more information on you because they haven't been around as long and haven't been exposed to the public as much. There's more information to pull from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, she already called That's her husband. What goes around, comes around. I mean, she already... song go? Yeah. What goes around, it comes around. I mean, she already called her husband and brother a rapist, so, I mean, she probably got some strong bars. Oh, I see her down the streets. So. Gonna definitely, gonna, definitely gonna flood your family's business out in the streets, that type of business. But, like, what'd you say? You know you around. Da, 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 da. Boom, boom, yeah. boom. Oh, we all knew that. We all knew We all knew that those bullets <laughs> were in the gun. <laughs> we don't need anybody to go get any sort of forensic evidence. No, no, no. We know where those bullets came from. Again, man, Sheetha was one thing. But if this happens, that's a whole nother thing. That's what I'm saying. There's a lot of information on the table. That's what yeah. I mean about like, well, you've been around. There's a lot of information. A lot you know, of information on the table. I think 50 Cent's one of Definitely those. Definitely need to watch your tone. 50 Cent's one of those rappers that withstood a whole bunch of very vicious diss records. I, I guess I mean, if you could say he, he withstood. He those diss records like at his peak and in his prime. Right. So, like, you know, that's different. Yeah, it is. Uh, mm-hmm. Mad Max of the Super Chat says, Lotto and City Girls aren't popping enough to take Nikki out the way. Okay. Well, listen. Put it on wax. That's what we do. I don't know. Listen to the show and prove type of business. Hip-hop and sports <laughs> go together so well because they're show and prove type of businesses. It's like, oh, no, mm-hmm. no, no. I know who you are and what you did. You know, like, even with somebody like Tom Brady, I'm looking at Tampa Bay this year, and I'm like, oh, no, no, no. It's like, oh, no, no, no. You shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't lose Giselle to go, like, 10 and, 10 and 8. No, no, no. No, no, no. You're losing Giselle, like, to go, like, you know, like, like 14 and, like, 4 and, like, go to, like, the Super Bowl and, like, have a shot. Like, oh, no, 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 no. Not the way y'all playing. It's like, oh, you need to take your ass home if that's the case. Everybody loves a winner, man. I mean, listen, I, I'll say this to Mad Max. The industry has clearly picked a side. So she clearly doesn't have the support of the industry. The fact that the Grammy organization is letting Lotto's records stay in the category that they're not letting hers stay in, you don't have that kind of support. So you need I mean, so I if it I... comes down to a record, I feel like Mulatto's gonna get the support from the record industry. Recording okay, industry. So people have to understand this. The record industry is mostly ran by companies that are either based in California or have Hollywood ties. And so they run their business yep. of women specifically in music the same way that they run their business of women in Hollywood. And they say, bitch, you old, slide over here for us. I mean, look, like they you said. Just like that. Like you said, and cool. Like you, and, and you have to be epic, like, you know, to transition gracefully like a... Uh, um, a Meryl Streep or a Kathy Bates or an Angela Well, you got to start playing somebody's grandma, man. You got to start right. playing auntie. You got to be auntie. You got to start it playing is. cool auntie. That's what I mean. Like Auntie, ain't, star- <laughs> auntie ain't starring in no movies. You you know what I'm saying? The star. No, auntie okay. can't star in movies. That's what I'm saying. Like Misery and like Fried Green Tomatoes. Or like, uh, or when they <laughs> Devil Wears Prada. Or so. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. 
or the coven with America Horror Story with Jessica Lange, the lead character is Jessica Lange, yeah. Kathy Bates, Angela Bassett. Them is all them is all aunties and grandmas, but you gotta embrace look, it though. At, no, no, no. Look at the capability and the skill level of the actresses, is what I'm saying. Well, what I was gonna say too, man, it's like it's just be like sports. To get that role as a woman when you're older. Well, like you said, man, entertainment, sports, Seriously. all that is the same, right? So if you got a 23 year old quarterback, you got a 39 year old quarterback. <laughs> they don't care how good you used to be. Your ass, ass is out of here. Hold on. Your ass is out of here. Mike, Mike, ask Joe Montana who had four Super Bowl rings. Ask Brett Favre. They Steve Young and they were like, hey, Joe, so um, we'd like to thank you for yep. putting us right next to the Cowboys and the Steelers in an eight-year period. Now, take your ass to Kansas City so we can let Steve Young ball. I mean, ask Brett Favre. They had to get his <laughs> ass up out of there, make room for uh, Aaron Rodgers. You're not gonna. You're not gonna win this game over a 23 year old. This game. Look, Bill Belichick moved Tom Brady and didn't even know what he was moving to. He's like, no, 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 Tom. He's like, I know who you are. I know how this league works. Step your ass off to the side. No, no, no. Go to Tampa Bay. Tom just proved him wrong. Indianapolis Colts with Peyton Manning. You had what surgery? You had surgery on your neck. How old are you? Andrew Luck. Andrew. Andrew, would you exactly. like to come in the building? Exactly. Get your old ass out this building, Peyton. No, we'd like to thank you for building this entire stadium and the infrastructure for half this city. Get your ass out the building. <laughs> Eric Terrell Wait, says, Mike it. want those disc records. Yes, I do want those disc records. And you know what? If both both of them put out a disc record today, again, the 23-year-old Lotto is at an advantage. I'm sorry, she is. Because she she's going to get all from. the back. She, so she has a lot to choose from. Yeah. Um, the raising head with the super chat says, "Fan or not, Nikki's spot is etched in stone. It is, but again, so is Kim's. She needs to make amends with Kim. And see, I think this would be the perfect time to do statue, so. Just because they build a statue for you doesn't mean that somebody's not going to come along. It's going to be worthy of having a statue placed right next to yours. That's well, how this goes. Like it's like Magic Johnson has five rings with the Lakers. He doesn't have any problem." with Kobe being right there next to him with five rings. It's about how you handle it. Do you think, well, I know the answer to the second part of my question about the beloved side of it. I don't think that Nikki's going to be held higher than Kim. And I think the way her relationship with her peers has a lot to do with it. If she would have, A, shown respect to Kim from jump, and B, shown love to Cardi from jump, she would be the biggest female MC of all time. But the fact that it seems like right now, too, and I think they made a point about this. Alato said something about this when she was on the phone with Nikki. Women in hip-hop are thriving right now. Everybody's unified for the most part. You're the only one disrupting this. And you're the one that really influenced this whole generation of young women that are actually popping right now. And you're the one tripping? What's the problem? Well, you see, this is what it is. It's It's like this. She's somewhere in the middle. See, she's not where Latifah and Light are, and even like people like Roxanne Shante and Angie Stone, where you're so far away that it's like you can truly see the impact. Or even somebody like Kim or Foxy or Lauren that can look and smile right now and be like, oh yeah, look at this shit. You're somebody that's probably the tipping point of making this happen. And when you're a tipping point figure, how you get remembered usually tips based on behavior. 
And she's really tipping herself the wrong way by doing this because potentially she's going to look at, be looked at as somebody who was problematic and a springboard to these things, but not revered the way somebody like a Kim or a Latifah, a predecessor. I'm, I'm going to say this again. So at my uncle's funeral, I spoke from the Book of Kings and I told people the Book of Kings is about good kings, bad kings, and great kings. That's why it's called the Book of Kings. The same things apply to queens. How do you want to be remembered as a queen? Now, are you a good queen? Are you a bad queen? Are you a great queen? Because there's a book and it's going to get written down. And right now it's getting written down like you were a bad queen. Well, this is the thing. These people that you're you're going to war with, they're going to help write your legacy in the next era. It ain't going to be you. You know what I'm saying? It's not going to be the work that you're putting in. It's going to be the Lottos. It's going to be the uh, the JTs. It, they're going to be writing your legacy moving forward. The I mean, Cardis. think about this. Like, what, think Cardi about just turned people, 30. Think about, think about how people in the media, literally this season, have tried to supplant Barry Bonds' home run record. Yeah. Like, that's about his behavior. That's not about steroids. Well, you know if, what? And... and even outside of Barry, you remember when Kobe Bryant, towards the end of his career, ESPN ranked him like the 96th best player in the league. That's based on how they felt about Kobe as a person. That was, there's no way in the world at any point in Kobe's career that there were 95 guys better than him. On, on experience alone. Like, just his mental no, makeup mean, no, alone. I, no, when he walked in the league, there yeah. wasn't like... 60 guys better than him. There's no way in the world. So, yeah, no. you're right. I mean, the way no. you treat people... That's all athletic ability. When you're no longer out there dominating, uh, and, like, Nikki's no longer dominating, they get to write your legacy. And the way you well, treat is, people matters. Well, this is what I mean. Do you remember how Barry Bonds was getting treated when he was approaching 700 home runs as opposed to how Albert Pujols just got treated? Yeah. Well, see, at this point, they want somebody to beat Barry. But unfortunately, guys, it's not going to happen. That won't be happening. Won't happen. Hey, guess what? Guess what? Newsflash. <laughs> won't be happening ever. The greatest baseball player ever. Until we come around or come across the greatest baseball player ever, it's not going to happen. No, I don't think people understand. He got blackballed and probably had another two seasons of DH work within him, and he would have gotten to 800 home runs, and this would be Easy. far and way out of like like realistic reach. Like He was going to put it out of reach. He was going to get to 800. <laughs> Not to mention him getting walked astronomical amounts of time. I always wondered how he got all those home runs and didn't get to 3,000 hits. Yeah, he got walked like two times more than the second, uh, the person that's at number two with the second most intentional walks. Go look at how many doubles he has. (laughs) It's insane. Are you serious? Because usually when you get a double, a double is usually a triple is somebody's mistake or you're really fast. A double is when you damn near hit a home run or the ball bounces off the wall. You feel me? Like no, in baseball, real. when you're somebody like him, look, go look at his doubles. It's like, you know how many balls were almost home runs? Mm. Jay Short with the Super Chat says, Nikki's legacy is attached to Drake and Wayne. I think that their legacies kind of stand on their own. I think I, they all have separate legacies yeah, and they have so a legacy too. together. Yeah. Uh, the Raising Head says, and Shay Noir is better than both with no buzz. 
Hey, Mike, everybody that's been jumping in saying they didn't get a notification, you're going to have to talk to YouTube. They keep doing this specifically on Friday. This is becoming a trend. Yeah. Can y'all talk to YouTube, too? I mean, our email is going to be one thing. But holla YouTube. We got Um, haters, too. Yeah, Mad Max says, Jay Short, Kim's legacy is attached to Biggie. Uh, If I'm going to be honest, Nikki's been passed Kim up. But I was coming up during the time only older heads bragged about Kim. Nikki over her attitude aside. Nikki over her attitude aside. Uh talk about Kim, Nikki over yeah. Um listen, no, I think really that Nikki's records, records hold, hold up. up. Yeah, I think yeah. I think Nikki's I think Kim's records hold up more than Nikki's, but if you want to say bar for bar, if somebody was sitting there in the cipher who's gonna outwrap who, I wouldn't be mad if somebody would say Nikki would outwrap Kim. But the records, I just don't feel like Nikki has a no time I don't feel like she has a crush on you. I don't feel like she has a um, um uh, what's the other record I was thinking about? I mean, even if we went the get money route, even if we went lighters up route, I don't think she has a lighters up, and that's well after Big Pass. Eric Terrell with the super I mean, chat says, I mean, "Name." I mean, we have, we literally have archive shows on this chat where, like, I've talked about this and like said all these things. It's like, oh no, she don't have Kim's records, and even in a battle. Never underestimate, like in a battle, your punchlines matter. It's like, I don't know if Nikki's a better punchline rapper than Kim either. You get what I'm saying? You're right. Eric Terrell says, uh, name a classic diss by a female MC. Lost Ones is top 10 diss record of all time, though. Thoughts, Coop? 10% diss. 10% diss is where I was going to go. Hot damn ho, here we go again. (laughs) Yeah, 10% diss was tough. I felt like Lost Ones was more of a subliminal. It was a great song. Well, it was very obvious who she was talking to. I don't know if it was a quote-unquote diss record, to call it a top 10 diss record. I think it was a... hmm? No, that's a diss. You think so? The record starts off, it's funny how money changes situation. Miscommunication lead to complication. I'm on the humble, you on every station. My emancipation don't fit your equation. No, she talking shit, Mike. Someone play young Lauren like she done. But understand the game is not as new under the sun. What you have did has already, already been, been done. done. No, I know all the tricks like, from Mexicans. That's, that's like, you know, that's high-level shit talk, Mike. It is. It is. My emancipation don't fit your equation. Yeah. Yeah. So 10% this is your pick? Like, because I know you're putting together a playlist of, like, the top 15 this Both of records. those are on there. Both of those are on the list. Both of them are on there? Okay. Oh, yeah, both of those are on the list. Where do you want to go next, right man? Here. Do you want to go to this little baby album? Or do you want to go to, because uh, I know you did some research um, in preparation <laughs> for Dr. Dre and the glove, right? <laughs> Where do you want to go next? Let me get this no, super No, no, we chat. can go there. Do you want to go to the Dre thing? We can go to the thing. I'm with that. Or do you want to go to the Nas and MC search thing? Because I feel like we can kind of get to that briefly. Because the the Dre thing is going to take a little longer than the Nas and search thing. Okay. Uh, Beats by Nobody with the Super Chat says, I love the show. Nikki had an entire crowd at the VMAs uh, reciting the bars of every song. You got to remember, that's TV, though. Has a college course. Kim's been doing that for like 15 years, though. 
She has a college course being taught on her. Yes, he does over at Berkeley. It says, I don't see any of these new females on her level yet. But with her level being that, what does that make Kim when, you know, she kind of used everything that Kim did to get in the game and get to that level? I'm interested to see what this Nikki course is going to be because if we're if we're going to have a course on femininity and hip hop or however they're approaching this, how is this course not on Kim? You know what I've always thought, man, what what I've grown to realize it's that whole Michael Eric Dyson hustle. And I say that whatever. I don't even want to say I say that respectfully. It is what it fucking is, right? These college institutions, they want to take your money. So they go out there and try to have some cool course where they pick like something that they know kids are going to identify with and think is an easy A. And these kids don't identify with Kim, so they're going to have the course on Nikki that could easily be about Kim instead of doing it with Kim, if that makes sense. Because Kim is their mama's favorite rapper, as opposed to, you know, Nikki, where it's something that they kind of live. No, I get it, and I dig it. Okay. I just feel like we've been spending a lot of time talking about it. Okay, like, yeah, we can go on. All right. So, um, uh, MC Search is selling his shares and um, and um, uh, his portions of Nas's catalog. And I think it's... Um, I think that we should say that it is Illmatic. It was written. They didn't say exactly which songs, I don't believe. But what are your I, thoughts on this? Well, this is a wise business decision. Um, this is one of the things that can happen when you don't own your own publishing for some of your material. Other people can go sell off your works as you become greater. But here's the real reason why I think that this happened. And this one, I mean, it can be twofold or threefold, depending on how you look at it. Well, MC Search has been part of this hip hop thing for a while and receives probably a lot of royalty checks from a lot of different things. But I don't think he has anything in his catalog, artist-wise, producer-wise, publishing-wise, that is intrinsically as valued as the Illmatic and it was written stuff that he probably has rights to. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. Can, okay. can you want me to read the well, quote real quick, you know, just so we can give the people some context? Because I just pulled up the article. Is that fine? Go ahead. You can go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Basically said, I have decided to sell the rights, including the global rights, uh, search told allhiphop.com. I started a conversation with several companies a few months ago. Uh, for 27 years, it has provided my family uh, through good times and bad. Now it's time to move on to another chapter. Uh, search was uh, last part of the controversial music website, Hit Piece. Okay, that's something else. Let me get back to it. It says, all right. Nas's debut album, Illmatic, has long been Harold's greatest work. His greatest work. Here they go again. Uh, as the album is in the Registry Library of Congress. Okay, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they're not really saying specifically what it is. It's just that quote. Yeah, no, no, no. I read the article. They're not saying anything. That's yeah, all, yeah, yeah. All. I was just saying it for the people before, you know, yeah. we talk. Word right, go ahead. Um, well, here's the thing about it. <clears throat> There's this little thing. There's a copyright act. And I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole, you know, but there's a copyright act. Because we're going to end up talking about Prince and Michael Jackson if we get too far down the rabbit hole. You feel me? Yeah, yeah. I love these, you know, 
I, I think yeah. those are educational conversations, you know. There's a copyright act, and I'm pretty certain that you're aware of this, Mike, that after 35 years of somebody, of your publishing rights pretty much not being yours, well, well those rights can be terminated, mm-hmm. and then the rights can be purchased. Yep. Now, if memory serves, this is how Michael Jackson attained the Beatles catalog? Um, yes. Actually, yeah, I believe so, because again, no, it was the full company that owned those rights that was up for sale. Right, but after 35 years, you understand it's like a copyright act of 76 or something like that, where after 35 years, whoever owns it, it, it can be terminated and it can be bought. Well, Illmatic is 28 years old and it was written as 26 years old. Now, with the amount of wealth that Nas has accumulated, the chances are that when year 35 comes up, you know, in the next five to seven years, he's probably going to buy this catalog back is what my assertion and my assumption would be. If not, he's doing himself a vast and great disservice. I'm sure he will, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and so I think this is more strategic by search because... He can see the handwriting on the wall with a kind of because this is how Snoop got um, death the row? Uh, doggy style. Yeah, doggy style, the death row catalog. Yeah. Yeah, it was up for, you know, and so I think this is more strategic and business driven. This is also a lesson to artists to, uh, quite frankly, try to own all of your shit from jump, because the fact of the matter is, is usually and typically in rap terms, your first two albums or three albums are usually your best albums. And even though Nas is the greatest MC of all time, that's no different in his case or his regard because I would still have Illmatic and it was written, number one. Well, the way this industry structure, and I want to piggyback on that because I see a lot of people saying things of that nature. Like I think in that group that you and I are in, uh, somebody was, you know, I guess using this as a way to put Jay-Z over Nas because Jay-Z, you know, I guess owns the rights to his first album. We also have to understand that, what, uh, Halftime actually just celebrated 30 years, I want to say like yesterday or something. So this guy was 16, 17 years old, uh, getting into these deals with big companies. Um, Now, in a vacuum and in a perfect world, yes, it would be great to say, yeah, hold on to, you know, your publishing coming in the door. But when you're coming in the door and you're a starving artist, for lack of a better term, you have no leverage against with these companies. And a lot of artists, I mean, it's just part of the game. It's like playing your rookie contract. You're not going to be able to get a fucking max contract coming out of college. I don't care how good you are. You know what I mean? You're going to be on a rookie contract. And I think most artists understand that, okay, I'll develop my leverage by my third album. And that's usually how it goes. Um, now, granted, and even when you go the independent route, what you can do, and that's, you know, definitely anybody's prerogative. But when you go the independent route, they'll treat your first major album, a la Nipsey Hussle, as your first album. Like the other ones just didn't even matter. So I think that Nas has put himself in perfect position when it's time to go ahead and get those records that do matter. I think Jay-Z was in a very unique situation. Him, Dame, and Kareem did an incredible thing with uh you know reasonable doubt but again you're gonna bite the bullet somewhere down the line because if we look at it now what reasonable doubt was commercially in in relation to everything else in 96 it didn't do those numbers 
You know what I'm saying? So it's like you owned it because see, he did it back. I don't want to say backwards, but he was able to, you know, own something and build it up as opposed to hitting right away, like with Illmatic or with Ready to Die, or whatever, and then having to go back. You know what I'm saying? Well, respectfully, mm-hmm. we're dealing with different circumstances in definitely. Well, well, here are the different circumstances. We're dealing with a prodigy who people heard in 1991 that the industry is actively looking for, wanting to succeed, and is looking at as the next big thing, and that's Nas. They weren't checking for Jay like that. You know, here I had a post I was about to do, Mike. Like, you want to know what the the hood really does or the projects, the inner city, whatever whatever your, your phraseology for it may be. You want to know what it really does? It really separates you into who you are and who you're going to be. Okay? And so... Explain that. <clears throat> you want me to explain it on the MC level with Nas and Jay? Yeah, you yeah. You want me to explain it on a personal level? Let's do the MC level since we're talking hip-hop. Okay. On the MC level. Because Jay and Nas are, are comparable in ages and Jay is older... And Nas is being more sought after by the industry. Jay's path is different. Jay is understanding, well, I don't have the buzz of a Nas or a Redman in 1991. And so he starts navigating his path differently to create for himself to get people to feel him. That's where In My Lifetime comes from. Mm-hmm. Like the actual In My Lifetime, you know, skinny nigga on the boat. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's where that comes from. And this is what I mean about the hood will separate you. It's like, oh, well, he knew early on that he wasn't the pure MC or lyricist that some of those other people were, but he was a hard ass worker. And he had other He's things working for him. Yeah. Like he was a hustler and a good hustler, and he knew it. And he starts to say himself, well, if I keep improving with these rhymes, and I transition how I hustle in the streets to hustling in the music business. I can sit right here next to these guys and reasonable doubt is the evidence of that. But you have to understand when reasonable doubt's coming out in 96, Nas has been on the tip of everybody's tongue on some rap shit for five years already. Yeah. It's just different. Yeah. And so that's what I mean when I'm saying the hood will separate you. No, Nas got deemed a child prodigy who the industry sought out early. Jay's path was different and harder to travel through. I like think Nas there are advantages challenged. in that too. Like there are definitely yeah. advantages in that because you're able to figure things out. You're able to put that work ethic in. And for the people who do believe in you, you can galvanize those troops. Like we can do this. You know what I'm saying? Like there's something about being able to operate with your back against the wall. Something else just clicks in. Like- this is okay so this is what i mean people have to and we're gonna talk about this with the little baby album too because you get comfortable and people keep yes. saying you this and that yes yeah we can go to that next there are beautiful differences about jay and nas at their best that people don't realize let's go to it ain't hard to tell in dead presidents their first singles off their classic albums well what's beautiful about it ain't hard to tell isn't just that nas is dope it's almost like it's effortless like he's not trying okay yeah on Dead Presidents, no, you can feel Jay-Z's intensity and his struggle and his hustle. That's part of what makes it the record it is. He's not a natural like Nas is on the mic. He worked at it. You can hear it on Dead Presidents. 
The Soviet, the unified steady flow. You already know you light. I'm heavy road, heavy dough. Mike machete your flow. Your paper fall flow like confetti. Mine's a steady grow. Betty grow. Pay five in it. For no, he's trying, Mike, because he wants to be there. Nas is like, it ain't hard to tell. I excel, then prevail. The mic is contacted. I attract clientele. That's different, Mike. <laughs> That's a different level of effort. Nas is making this shit seem like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is nothing. This is what I do every day naturally. Let me get you know some of these saying? super chats. Dame252 says, is serving uh, Rome Streets featuring Bodie James, a song of the year contender? That is just fire. Definitely no blow for blow, blow is. is. Yeah, we think blow for blow is better. Blow for blow might be song of the year. I think blow for blow might be song of the year. See, that's how you know that this is like, we on some rap shit, Mike. Yeah. Like, we're like, blow for blow might blow be for rap blow is crazy. Repeat. It is crazy. You know what? It's like anytime I hear something like that that excites me like that and it comes from East Coast, it's like, I'm like, that's that Wu-Tang shit or like that's that Ma Deep shit where it's like, oh, it's like, what is that? It's like, oh, yeah, that's amazing. It's like, that's that that's that hardcore East Coast rap shit. Yeah, that's like hearing uh, uh, Glaciers of Ice or some shit. It's not Glaciers of Ice. No, but no, yes. but you know what I mean. That no, feeling I know what you, you get. No, it's that feeling. It's yeah. that excitement when you hear it. It's like, oh, what the fuck is that? Jay Short yeah. says, why did Search announce this? He also put MC Hammer in the streets. Messy. You know, it is interesting that he put out there. It's almost like, because usually when deals are being made, people do these things on the under. It's almost like he's putting this out here to leverage the sale. I've been talking to several companies. He wants these companies to know, oh, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's out there, whatever, whatever. It's almost like he's trying to get it to the highest bidder. I don't know if he's trying to get Nas's attention or whatever, but that is interesting. I didn't think of it like that. But yeah, this shouldn't even be publicized, really. Well, this is the second fold part of it, Mike. You usually only publicize stuff like this, and stuff usually like this only gets out. I hate to say it. It's like if you need some money. Um, Peter Park says, Nas owns his publishing. Uh, What Search is selling is his executive producer portion, which is only a percentage. Okay. That's like sampling stuff. That's how Jay got the world is yours sample. You feel what I'm saying? Right, so right. there are there are some samples on Illmatic and there are stuff like there's pieces of those records that Search owns. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But usually when stuff like this does make the news, it usually is a money play, which usually means somebody needs money. Jay Just fact sure. of the matter. Because here's the thing. You don't have to publicize what is known and what is like great. It's like, you know, like him publicizing it kind of does speak to some of the fodder that people are saying that it's like, oh, is he having money troubles? It's like, oh, well, I don't know, because if it wasn't any money issues with it, why is he not just keeping the sale of it quiet? Because it is Illmatic and it was written. It's pretty fucking valuable to a lot of people out there. Like, I know this, if like Wu-Tang can get like, like if RZA can get what for a Wu-Tang album? Like, oh, this Illmatic and it was written? And like, oh no, it's like the nigga didn't offer into the Wu-Tang? Oh, yeah, you can get some serious money for it. Yeah, it feels like he's trying to get whoever, you know, whoever he's talking to, to up the price even more. Like, okay, I'm going to let well, you, this, like, this is advertisement. I'm going to let y'all know that this is up for sale, and you can get it, but I got other people out here who are looking for it, too. Well, let's go back to um, some of what I was saying earlier about the Michael Jackson and Prince thing. Okay, so let's take a guy like <clears throat> Bob Dylan, who I found out today sold his entire catalog for $500 million. Now, Bob Dylan's catalog is worth $500 million. What do you think Michael Jackson's catalog is worth? <laughs> I mean, listen, okay. man, we'll, I'll say hold this. On, we'll on, never on, know how on. much Michael Jackson's worth. No, 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 Mike, worth. I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. I'm not done interrogating you, Mike. Who owned the Beatles catalog, Mike? 
That's what I'm saying. And not only, not only just. So, I think so we Mike limit. Hold on, let me Mike let me finish this. I think real quick, real quick, seven billion dollars worth of music. Right, real quick, real quick. Just so we don't limit it for you our viewers. And I know, I know you know this. I, cool, cool, cool. About no fentanyl, five billion dollars <laughs> worth of music in the catalog. <laughs> I know you know this, but I want to say this for our viewers. I mean, Very we're, we're not going to limit Michael to just the Beatles catalog. He owned half of Sony's catalog. So that's and the Beatles catalog and everything that came with that allowed him to leverage the deal where Sony wanted at least a piece of the Beatles catalog. So he entered a deal that was sweet for him where he was like, look, you want half of the Beatles shit and everything else is over here. Let me get half of everything you got. And that's what it was. So that including this catalog, including the fact that he actually made. Um, I think it's still the record for the most points on a single album. He Correct. brokered that deal right before Thriller. Thriller has sold like 115 million records, probably more than that by now. So you have the highest points on individual album royalties, highest selling albums of all time, and you own half of Sony. Yeah, it's a lot. Okay. And they're going to be like, oh, the doctor killed him. It's like, oh, really? Bigger than the doctor. That's that bullshit we kick. <laughs> oh, the doctor is bigger than Conrad. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You, you feel what I'm saying? Yeah, you it's feel what than I'm saying. No, it's a lot. Since we're talking about publishing, no, you want to talk about some publishing? Let's talk about some publishing now. So Michael Jackson got about five, six billion dollars worth of publishing that he owns. But let's go to Prince. <laughs> That's kind of even lowballing what Michael had. Who knows? But yeah. No, no, no. I look at it like this: If Bob Dylan, his catalog is worth five hundred million dollars, and Mike owns the Beatles catalog and his catalog, I'm gonna give Mike two billion. I'm gonna give each Beatles five hundred million dollars, like Bob Dylan, at a minimum. So we talking a minimum four billion right there. We talking some Sony shit. You can go ahead and put another two on it. So somewhere between five and seven billion dollars worth of music. That's a minimum. I would say that Sony shit's another ten. It's a no, whole I minimum, lot of. Mike. No, no, we, we, we doing minimums. We don't know how Sony does the yeah. books. Mike probably does. You know, that's the part Nas is talking about in success. Yeah. Like Mike Jack's ATU part, Matola can't touch. Let this bitch breathe. Well, Mike yeah. was trying to get that back, and they were going back and forth, and that's why he called Tommy Matola the devil. And that's Correct. one of the reasons why he, you know, he felt like they didn't promote uh, Invincible properly because of those dealings. And when you they think didn't. about it, I mean, Invincible, even without promotion and stuff, I think it still ended up doing like ten million. But Michael Jackson doing one music video for an Probably album was six originally. It was six yeah. originally. Yeah, probably something million. like that. Whatever it was. I was just throwing a name uh, number off the cuff. But let's just say six million, right? One music video for a Michael Jackson album? I always thought that was weird. Jay Short with the Super Chat says, Mike had a contract clause where after eight to ten years, all royalties and, I'm sorry, all rights and royalties to his music would revert back to him. The label basically rented the rights. Yep, and I think that that Eight to ten years that ran out in two thousand nine, and you know, June twenty fifth, two thousand nine, brother passed away. Rest in peace, Michael Jackson. Ooh, hmm. It is uh, funny. It is funny how those things coincide. Coincidence, I don't, man. Rock a shot with the super chat. I don't even want to touch the Prince thing anymore. 
All I'm saying is, is that just yeah. Rock a shot with the super chat okay. says. Not the cocaine in the seventies and the eighties that these niggas did, but some shit. Oh, okay, got it. That's when they overdosed and died. I got it. Rock yeah, a shot says. Nas was born to use mics, and Jay Z is a rap hustler. You know, if Jay Z is a rap hustler, he's an incredible hustler, man. I mean, I think he's an MC first. I always say that Jay's an MC first. I think that his hustle took over to propel his MC skills. No, he, he, here, here's what I'll tell you. His passion is MCing. He is still a better businessman, but his passion is MCing. And so he just happens because of, you know, situations and circumstances to be the businessman and the thinker that he is. And so you can't stop the way that he thinks, but you can't change his passion as well. Yeah. And what makes him arguably the greatest MC of all time, in somebody's opinion, is, is that nobody who has been considered that great of, M- of an MC has had that big business acumen like him in their prime and expressed it in a way to empower other people. That's yeah. what's special about him in, right. in, in uh, relationship to his high level contemporaries. No, I agree. Uh, Peter Parks of the Super Chat says, question, do you think the streaming services dropped the worth of an artist's music catalog? I do think ultimately, yeah. I mean, because at the end of the day, just like in sports, once again, Owners are looking for any reason not to pay an athlete what they're worth. And if whoever is buying these catalogs or whatnot and just purely on the music, they could say, well, you know, based on the record sales, this is what it used to be in the record selling climate. But this is what a catalog like this is worth now because all we have is streams to go on. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. Any buyer, if you're out here buying a car, you know what I'm saying? You're gonna find a way to try to get the um the uh the car salesman to come off a price. So that's where the streaming has devalued the totality of the catalog in uh in terms of the artist ability to see, I guess I guess it's kind of twofold even with that though, because doesn't that make the ability for the artist to buy it back cheaper inherently, even though the catalog is worthless? Possibly. Um okay. Yeah, possibly. But it's a two-way even, street. If it's worth less, it costs less. You feel me? Right. That's how economics work, too. Like, like there has to be a cycle and a flow in order for it to work. Like, you can't just fuck somebody and not let them get in anywhere in the economic cycle in order for it to keep flowing. Like, you still have to pay people. But where does the 360 fit in all of this? So it's Okay, like, that doesn't fit anywhere. That is what we like to call... From our day, that fuckery. That's, well, why we, was, that's why when we saw 360 deals, we all jumped out. We're like, what is that? It's like, you're going to do what? It's like, no, no, no. That's how you get rich. But who's to say that now, when you know, when you're talking about buying catalogs from the streaming era, that they're not going to include everything else, just like the 360 deal with likenesses and things like that. Because it's like, look, if I'm buying this catalog, I want to be able to have the licensing for the merch and things like that, too. The new buyout clause. Uh, Eric uh, Terrell with the Super Chat says, uh, talking about diss records, this time around was Tommy Mottola's diss record by um, Michael Jackson and Biggie. I never listened to it like that. I'm going to go back and listen to this time. I'm going to go listen to it. So, um, you know, here's the thing about it. And I've spoke to this on, um, on this show before, too. It's one of our archive shows probably from a couple years back now. Um, Hip hop needs a union. 
I've said yeah. this before, man. I've told you that hip hop needs a union, some sort of formation that like kind of puts people under an umbrella that people can contribute to. Like, and, and I get it, and I'm not trying to castigate anybody because a lot of um our MCs who are well to do do very philanthropic things. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But you, you would also be served in your community by taking care of like the community that kind of provided from you and kind of shielding them so they can kind of help those around them and build up the community as well. You know, and you know, I think what happens is, you know, I love what LL is doing with rock the bells. And I think that when you don't have a union, it's like a few people are uh, are left with a lot of the heavy lifting, you know? And I think that there's enough for it. I think, we could do more with everybody doing a little. And I told you, we, with, we, we, with being an MC and being a hip hop artist, a profession, and it's been a pre- profession for about 40 years now, right? There's no reason why a 40 year old profession shouldn't have a union at this point. Not no, that no, no. all okay, the so money that, you know, that comes in and out of this industry with hip hop alone, it's kind of inexcusable. So, so, Mike, I'm going to tell you what. There was a company that I used to work for about eight or nine years ago. I just went back to them. Now, when I went, when I first started working there, they were, um, I wouldn't call them a small startup operation. I would call them efficient local neighborhood operation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's 10 years later. I just went back about a month ago, currently employed with them now. They now have um, 401k. It's 10 years. It's 10 years later. They have 401k. All right. They have benefits options available. If you only work 30 hours a week, listen to what I'm saying. If you work 30 hours a week, you are eligible for benefits. 401k, a 401k option that they match. This is from a startup company about 15 minutes from my house. It's only been in existence for 10 years. Mm. You feel me? So, like, don't tell me hip-hop can't do these things. I literally just went back to a company that when I used to get done at the end of the night, they used to hand me cash. You mm. know what I'm saying? And now and now they have a 401k system that matches and, like, you know, like a savings fund. You get what I'm saying? And, like, like a whole system set up in a decade. It's been 40 years. So do not tell me that we cannot galvanize and organize a system that can that this can work under like I'm literally watching it being done 15 minutes up the street from my house. Mm, it's sure. part of why I went. It's part of why I went back to the company, Mike. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. Jay Short says with the super chat, Tim file Tim for a Koofy hat. He says, notice how uh, MJ Prince Aretha types allegedly never have a will. Stevie better put his uh, his online. I digress. Funny, it's funny how all these intelligent br- for all think about all the brilliant business strategic moves these people made, but they ain't got no will. You know, this is the thing, man. Prince was gang, all gang. About, Prince was all about ownership, all about music. The man had a vault in his house. You have a vault full of music, you don't have a will. It's hard for me to believe. Whatever. Nobody believes that. Nobody believes that. You, you talk that's preparing. When you when you have a vault of music, you're preparing for, you know, after or whatever. You know what I'm saying? You how do you have all of those things You probably have decided how you want it distributed or if you want it held or not or what you want exactly. done. With it time. Exactly. Yes. How do you not have instructions to this vault? You know what I'm saying? It's hard to believe. And it's funny how all the people close to him, 
have shut up about all their conversations that they ever had with him since he's been gone. Isn't that crazy? Dirty game, man. The Razor Head with the Super Chat says, Jay is the only uh, great MC who, banks, who bank account matches his actual abilities. Uh, in that respect, he's the Michael Jordan of rap. Jay is MC goals. Yeah, I think he is the mark when it comes to anybody coming in the game is like, what MC do you want to be overall? I think most people would probably say Jay. Yes. Okay, so that's that's where he won early. And this is what I mean about it being a marathon and not a sprint. No, you can say that about Nas now, but you couldn't say that back then. You've yeah. been able to say that about Jay the entirety of the time. It's like where Jay was business-wise in terms of how he was getting his money and how fast it was coming and the different streams that it was creating. Oh, he was getting money like Puff was getting money as like, you know, being an owner of a label. You get mm -hmm. what I'm saying? This is the first time it's ever like been debated. type of level, but he was the MC. Mm -hmm. And so you have to understand, it's like if you're doing that like top 10 MC list, it's like, I mean, Nas, Jay, and Ice Cube are who's standing out in my mind in terms of their wealth. Well, you know what? It's interesting you mentioned Ice Cube because I think Ice Cube is right there in the debate, but no one ever positions Ice Cube in those conversations. No, no, no. You he's never right see, there. When you we're talking about money, talking who he would want to be. Like, no, like, but what I'm saying about, is if they never publicized him like it, that. If you're talking about back then, it should be Jay. Ice Cube's always been looked over. But yeah. what I'm saying is that Ice Cube was like that slow, steady build. See, people like it fast. It happened for Jay fast in people's mind because a lot of people didn't see him or hear from him to like 96, 97 if you're ahead. And if you're a casual fan, 98. So when you're seeing him in 2001 with this money and you've only been listening to him for three years, that's very attractive. You don't know that that's the dude that came and, you know, ran with Kane and ran with Jazz. And, you know, I mean, did Reasonable Doubt, did In My Lifetime before Reasonable Doubt. You don't know that guy. So when what? you're seeing him with all this money in 2002, it's like, oh, this guy's only been here in four years. He's worth $100 million. It's like, oh, man, that guy been here since, like, 88. I, but see, they don't publicize Cube like that. You know what I mean? In a way where they talk about him financially. You never see him like Forbes like that. But it's like, we know Cube has been getting big money for a very long time. Oh, somebody and, brought and up LL in the chat. LL too. But here's the thing. Well, no, hold, let me finish my thought real quick. They have. This, is, this is what I was going to say about Cube. Cube has such a fuck you attitude. What message does it send for somebody to be that financially great and stable with that kind of attitude who doesn't play the game. I don't think that they want to publicize Cube's wealth because of his approach. Cube's not no, the no, guy no, that's that, going to that, sit that, here that, and play the game with you and, you know, mince words, and he got it anyway. There was part of that, but also, too, the game was different then, too. He's been getting money. They never publicized Cube's worth. Ever. No, no, no. Even right. with all the you like, what, what, Friday took $3 million to make it, made $18 million the first year, $15 million profit turnaround. Nobody talks about that $15 million profit he turned. Yeah, we know that. In 1990 what? Yeah. Like way before Jay had a record deal. Yeah. I mean, the whole Friday series. All of those Fridays made money. Players Club yeah. made money. No, I'm not. I'm not. Barbershop. You know what I'm, I'm not, saying? I'm not, I'm not knocking what you're saying, but when people look at Jay, people look at Jay's money like it's rap money. You feel what I'm saying? I feel you. 
They don't look at Cube's money like Cube's money is rap money. They don't look at Nas's money like it's rap money. They're like, oh no, you got Hollywood money. No, you got tech money. Jay well, got honestly, rap money. It's like, no, no, no. Jay has like like fashion and like 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 hustler and like designer, like like you know what I'm saying? Like, no, he got the same type of money, like Well, all right, look, when Cube went to priority, fresh off of NWA, he got an astronomical deal because he's Ice Cube from NWA. Not to mention, as soon as he hit the ground on America's Most, that nigga's selling records like hotcakes. He never was not selling records. And kind of like the uh, the Michael Jackson thing I was talking about, the point system that he was getting in priority. Like, who you think set the infrastructure for um, Master P, P and right. Jay to put out Reasonable Doubt on priority? That's Q. Q might have been the first rapper on priority. He set so. that stage for priority. So, I'm not discounting anything that you're saying. <laughs> but what I will submit to you is, is that Cube is black on both sides. Mm-hmm. He is. Like the most deaf album. Yeah. And when you're black on both sides, Mike, you feel me? Like, like when you're black in front of us, but when you're black, when you're probably blacker in front of them than maybe you even are in front of us, like he gets in front of us and is like, well, you see that he's probably in front of them like, bitch, Cube is scary. Cube is scary on all levels because he's, he's intelligent. On all levels, he is the nigga that you love to hate. There's a reason that there's a record called "The Nigga That You Love to Hate." He's intelligent. He has everything to do with black people and white people feeling that way. He's intelligent. He's straight to the point, and he's—I mean—he's been fucked over once with NWA, but that was it. So we got him for that one period. That's it. Fuck me one time. You got one time to fuck me. <laughs> Jay Short with the super chat says. They're not doing college courses on Cube. Of course they're not. <laughs> That's hilarious. Nikki yeah. uh, over Cube. Yeah. Hold on. Now's a good time to uh, segue to his uh, NWA uh, bandmate who he started with, Dr. Dre. Okay. Let's talk about Dr. Dre. Uh, I think in our previous episode, you were saying that you put RZA ahead of Dr. Dre in the GOAT conversation uh, as far as hip-hop producers. You've been doing some more digging, and I think you said you had a lot of, you know, things to, to give to, to our we audience. To put, we about to put people ahead of Dr. Dre, Mike, not just Rizzo. Really? That's the first thing that's going on. We about to put people. How many people are you putting ahead of Dre as a producer, and why? Dre and the GOAT conversation. Oh, snap. Uh, I don't even know how that happened. Oh, that's according to hip-hop playing. Oh, <laughs> Did we get the notification? That's the notification. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> We're going to get a whole bunch of people coming in. Motherfuckers. Um, <laughs> no, so um, somebody sent me a very fascinating interview with Krista uh, Glove Taylor who popped into this chat. Tell me who Krista Glove Taylor is. Yeah, I've been kind of doing some digging on him ever since he popped in. You know, just because like when people like that pop in, it's like, oh, that's... He's a music lover. He's a head. Well, I want to give a little bit of backstory. We were going through the Firm album, and I said I didn't know who Chris the Glove was. And I think, you know, some people start educating us on it, and then Chris the Glove popped in, and boom, you've been doing your research. Um, so, did you watch the the, uh, the video that I sent you? I did not. I was waiting on you to talk about it. First of all, you need to watch it. I'm going to watch it. <clears throat> You do. You really, really do. But that's cool. I'm glad that you waited for me anyway. But that's actually cool. 
Dre's always had help, Mike, and that's just really the reality of the story at the end of the day. When I actually thought about this, I was thinking, like, I would liken him more to Prince in the matter of how Prince switched bands after the revolution. You feel me? Mm -hmm. Like, after the time of the revolution, he made Sign of the Times, and then he kind of made, like, Love Sexy, the Black Album, and a couple other things, but then he popped up with the New Power Generation and Diamonds and Pearls. And then it seems like from that point on, or somewhere in between there, like Graffiti Bridge and all that, like somewhere about 1990, it seemed like Prince was switching bands. And what I feel like is going on with Dr. Dre is is that, you know how Puff had like the Hitman? Mm -hmm. Like he recreates a Hitman type of team, but it's not a whole team. He likes to keep it quiet. He's a funny dude. You feel what I'm saying? So it's not going to be like a big team of people. It's going to be a guy or two. And so we're going to start unpacking it. Let's first of all unpack. Then, hold on, hold on. This isn't going to be a Dre slander, you know, fest for the people. No, no, no. Because I know y'all tune out whenever we get things, critical of certain that are people. are pulled from interviews okay. that Chris the Glove, Taylor, and Daz Dillinger have done pretty much. Okay. So any, everything that I'm saying is pretty much via Daz or via Chris the Glove. Okay? Okay. Just to get briefly on the Daz part, Daz did do Ain't No Fun on Doggy Style and Rat-A-Tat-Tat, okay? Okay. One of Daz's homies, Emmanuel, is the guy that's playing the keyboards on What's My Name, Who Am I? And on, I believe, I forget the other, I got I got more paperwork upstairs because I I was taking notes like crazy when I was like doing all these interviews like I usually am. But the cat... Emmanuel definitely did the, the main part to What's My Name, like Snoop's first single, okay? Now, as far as The Chronic is concerned, it appears, and The Glove said this in his interview, Dre hasn't worked by himself since I've known him. Glove started hanging out with Dre when Niggas for Life was being made. Mm. Now, I want you to understand. 92. Before. Before that. Glove is actually explaining how people, and people need to go look up Krista Glove Taylor. He was actually a more known DJ and producer before Dr. Dre and Yella. And he Somebody literally said talks in the interview. Did, what's my name? Have you heard any of that? Huh? Pork Chop. So I said pork That's the chop. Same guy, That's Emmanuel pork okay. chop. Gotcha. Okay. They called him pork chop. His real name is Emmanuel. Dad's put Emmanuel on. Pork yeah, chop. Emmanuel yeah. pork chop dean. Yeah. Okay. Emmanuel pork chop dean. Yeah, same guy. We're talking about the same person. Okay. Are we talking about a session player? Because I, I think the confusion is they're session players and they're producers. Okay, so he's a session player. He's a session player that laid the strings and the keyboards for that record and never got credit. Don't you think that's kind of big seeing how Snoop's album, like think about this, Snoop's album got released before Gin and Juice did. It's the first rap album to go number one on the charts and it was there for four weeks straight if memory serves. That is off the strength of what's my name. 
So don't you think session players deserve credit when something like that monumental is happening? I mean, I'm just asking questions here. No, I agree with you. And, um, you know, think something. Especially when pro- it's the keys on there that make the record. Mike, well, I think you know it's that. something that's problematic is when we watch a film like the biopic, the straight out of Compton. You remember when he did G thing, right? It was like they had, they showed Dre at the, uh, at the keyboard. He was telling Snoop to come over. And he's playing G thing on the keyboard like that wasn't a sample from Leon. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, somebody found you the record or you found the record and you sampled it and you made the record. It wasn't like he was on the keys creating. And I think that when we have these notions in our head about the creation of it, these session players get left off. That's why I was bringing all that around. So first of all, when, 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 when people like Sade or like giving credits for like session players, they don't get left out. Right. You get what I'm saying? So it's like they're a grander artist than other genres of music. Give Even the Fall Brothers when it comes to Motown. Like, like how about this? If people like Fiona Apple don't put people like John Bryan down in the credits, people like Kanye West maybe don't find out who that person is and we don't get late registration. So right. credit matters. I mean, even the Funk Brothers, when you talk about Motown, like they were the session players, even though Holland, Doge, and Holland was the, were the producers and Smokey Robinson Correct. were producing, but they still gave credit to the session players. Correct, because it matters, because they're helping create these melodies that are being held forever in our timeless classics. Yeah. And they are the originators of them in, in, in some cases. Now, let's stay on the chronic right quick. Chris, the glove, the glove is literally talking about how him and Dre are riding around Cali. Like, you have to understand when he's meeting him, he explains this. He's like, you have to understand, I'm the fancy nigga from West L.A. And these are the dangerous hood niggas from Compton that just started getting money. He had been getting money. He had did a record. I forget the record. I, I wish I, I had the rest of my notes with me. I have notes everywhere. But he already had sold 4 million records Mm. by the time he's meeting Dre. So he's already been getting money and been getting checks, okay? Mm -hmm. I feel like I actually need to go get the rest of my notes right quick. If you got to go get the rest of your notes, fine. Do you know where they're at? I do so much right, Mike. It's ridiculous. No, keep going. I'll I'll find the record that you're talking about. If you you want to keep going, I'll just find. Yeah, yeah. Pull up the pull up Chris the Glove Taylor. Yeah, right quick. But just to keep going, right quick. Glove is responsible for so many things, but the whole G Funk sampling Mm -hmm. thing—that's not just Dr. Dre's idea. And so what Glove was saying was, was like, no, the whole idea to switch to the old G Funk thing that the Chronic is based up, that's not Dre's idea. That's our idea. That's me and Dre riding together through Cali trying to figure out how we're going to switch shit up. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand, the Glove was more of the music producer, not the rap producer, the music guy. He's the one that's riding with Dre like, no, 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 we need to be doing this G Funk shit. So when he's talking about this whole G-Funk era thing, it's like the glove is saying it's like, no, no, no. The conversations with Dre help inspire that. And this is what I mean about how he's kind of like um, he's a co-producer. He's one of those people that's like my homie Walk was telling me who plugged me to Curry, like from the bad boy thing when he came in the studio and I was by myself. He's like, Coop, that's not how you do it. He's like, you need the people around you to inspire you, Mm -hmm. to give you your ideas and stuff. This is what Dre does. Like, so from early on, he's using Chris the Glove Taylor because he knows what the Glove does is different than what N.W.A. is doing. The Glove doesn't sell four million records doing some non-rap shit. So when the Glove is talking to him about doing the G-Funk shit, Dre is thinking to himself, that probably might sell more records. You feel what I'm saying? Right. 
Right. And so this is what the glove said. He said, Dre is a project manager and a master sampler and a great director, not a beat maker. He said, you want to talk about the chronic Greg Royal and Colin Wolf, their contributions to the chronic. Mm. He brought up the fact. I've never heard of those names, by the way. Huh? I've never heard of those names before. Yeah, Greg Royal and Colin Wolf. Look them up. I never heard of those names either, and I still haven't had time to research them totally. Mm. Here's another thing that I realized. Glove is the one that's responsible for bringing Mailman in. Check this out. I don't know that. Mailman, Mailman is from Pittsburgh. Mailman is part of Sam Sneed's camp. Mm. Okay? So they have been trying to get Mail out. Glove is the one that made it happen. Dre didn't bring Mailman out. The Glove bought Mailman out. It was Sam Sneed. Hold on. Where are my notes? <laughs> Butter, Sam Sneed, Scooby-Doo, and Mailman. Hmm. So, so, yeah, it, this Sam is Sneed, kind of like a hitman team, almost. That's what I mean. He's like Puff. He's sitting up here sourcing out the talent and using the talent that's around him. He's using the cat that's making the R&B record that's blowing up from West L.A. and pulling the ideas to use the chronic. You know? Hmm. And Hold that's on. not I even counting Warren G. Mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, nothing but a G thing is Chris the Gloves idea. Mm. Let me go try to find the rest of my notes right quick. I'm going to come right back while you kind of like go through it with the people right quick. Okay. But I know you've had some thoughts about this as well. And and I want you to – and here's the part that we need to need to go ahead and stress off of while I'm going right quick. And I'm coming right back because you know I got to get ready to go to this show. Mm-hmm. I want you to understand something, Chris the Glove Taylor. Chris, he's from West L.A., not East L.A., not Compton, Ingle. You get what I'm saying? Like he from more what you would call the suburb or bougie side area. He said <clears> – <throat> This is for everybody that loves Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. He says, we make records for niggas to ride to over here. I'll be right back, man. <laughs> Yo, um, I know you guys had uh, took issue, at least I think I was reading some of Man Man's comments from last show. This is not a slander. Uh, we're just trying to, you know, put everything in context because I've always said that Dr. Dre is the greatest hip hop producer of all time. But we want to be fair. If we're going to hold help against, you know, certain people, we got to consider, you know, everybody that's involved in, you know, Dr. Dre and his creation of it. And I, we also saw what you guys had to say about, you know, our discussion about Kendrick. Listen, to say Kendrick is not top 10 yet it's not slander and i think that again mr morale is something that he can bounce back from do i think he will i don't see it right now especially with the five-year break and with uh you know that album in this chamber but you know it's possible i could be wrong eric terrell with the super chat says uh when people didn't get credit dre worked with easy and uh jerry heller death row is suge knight think they give extra credit huh i don't know um and and yellow has to get his credit too uh eric terrell also says when dre got aftermath he gave credit to help to the help okay um dre is quincy jones i don't know uh quincy jones is more of an arranger and i think like we said in the previous episode dre is a producer from a traditional standpoint And see, in hip-hop, hip-hop producers 
are able to kind of just do everything all in one. I mean, that's what the NPC and all of that's for. So it's very difficult to rate him based on the traditional model when you got people like Pete Rock that go in there and just make the record themselves. They'll make a true master themselves. There's no middle person in there. There's no help with that. There's no help with... Um, they um, reminisce uh, over you. Reminisce over you. Yeah, like... The just world the is whole, yours. Yeah, the, the whole... Down with the kings. Yeah. The saga begins. So it makes you look at it different, and we got to be fair. It's like, okay, imagine if... Imagine if... Let's just be real. Close your Can't eyes and... Imagine, commandments. Close your eyes and imagine if Pete Rock had the kind of help that Dre has. What kind of catalog no, that's what would I'm he saying. have? No, I told you we're about to slide him back. It's like, oh no, Dilla, Pete Rock, Primo, yeah. Q-Tip. Q-Tip. Imagine Q-Tip made the low end theory theory by by himself. himself. He made the low end theory by himself. He made the low end theory by himself. By himself. Come on, man. We got to be real. Now, for the people out there who think this is slander, with all of the help that we're talking about on the chronic, and then you got Q-Tip who made the low end theory by himself, which feat do you think is more impressive as a producer? Oh, hold on. We're not. Yeah, we're not. Yeah, hold on. Yeah, a man. A man uh, Porkchop played the keyboards on Gin and Juice and what's my name? Okay, think about this. Those are the first two singles off of Doggy Style. Yeah, that's a top. Five, that's a top five rap album. It's definitely a top ten rap album. It's the first rap album to ever go no, number one. It's definitely the first rap album to sell five million records, like from a real rapper, like not Vanilla Ice. You feel what I'm I saying? It's the first real rap album to like sell some five million records. It's like, no, 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 that's a rap album. On some hardcore album. shit, not on some crossover. Like on some rap shit, shit it yeah. sold five million records. And this guy did the keyboards on the first two singles. Don't tell me that that's not important. Like, let's go to some more stuff. Um, he did admit this. He's like, Dre is like an A&R. He has an eye and an ear for talent. Sounds like Puff once again. Okay. Listen to this. Glove did explosive and stranded on death row, Mike. That's incredible. I didn't know Glove made explosive. Glove I didn't know explosive. who I was talking to. Damn. I see Leroy said something, and you know, I, I want to get this out there. Leroy putting out a narrative that Dre never said that he made anything by himself. This is not the point. We're talking about ma- when we rank people. As far as like the greatest producers of all time. We're not saying that he is not, you know, he's hiding this or whatever. He got a ghost right, whatever. We ain't talking about that. If we want to sit here and chastise MCs who have ghostwriters and people who we didn't know wrote rhymes, how can we sit here and not do the same thing for production help? And how can we sit here and act like the fact that Q-Tip made the low-end theory by himself isn't a greater feat. You hear those I mean, samples on the low-end theory? He found those, man. He hold found on, those. Let's unpack this right quick. First of all, Kenny Mack is right. The glove, like, the glove got his start. He's Ice-T's original DJ, Mike. That's what I'm saying. Like, he precedes yeah. NWA. He was in breaking. So like, yeah. Yeah. So, so he's talking on there. He's like, you know... Like, Dre and Yellow was DJs. He's like, no, I was a DJ. Couldn't nobody fuck with me. Like, I was that nigga in L.A. Yeah. You feel me? And he was because he was on and getting money before these dudes. 
And he didn't even try to kick it to them like that. Like his people had to tell Dre and them. It's like, you know, like that's what he really does. He was just on some like L.A. Like I got money shit with them. Now, listen to this. He did the keyboards to California Love. Mike, the keyboards are what make California Love. Think about it. All right. I I think he did the keyboards to California Love. He did explosive. He did stranded on death row. Think about he he is part of the reason that the G Funk samples got used for the chronic. We're not done yet. <laughs> Hold, let me get the Mad Max super chat. He says Dre is not the greatest producer ever. More uh, Interscope Jedi mind tricks for for me. Daz, Devante, RZA, Heatmakers, Yay, Havoc, Pete Rock, the best producers, and I like the guy who produced uh, Lil Sims' album and um, and Exile. Yeah, Exile's dope too. So so let me run this down right quick. Do you remember that double XL photo where it's like Dre's vault? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Glove talks about it. He's like, that's not really Dre's vault. He's like, about 70% of the stuff that you're looking at is in, in it, is my shit that's in there that never got released because of their business practices. He said, so this is how they would do you. They would tell you that they would pay you like 15, 20 Gs for a placement, and you would give them 10 records, right? So you're thinking you're going to make like a quarter million dollars. They would intentionally only take one of the records. And so you left with like 10, 15 G's. That's kind of how they kept you hustling and kept you working. He also brought up the fact that because of Suge and how the Bloods was involved with it, that she was damn near scared to fucking do some shit. Like, do I want to fuck with these dudes on some gangster shit about my money? Now, Dre knew all of this. You know what I'm saying? So when he broke off from Aftermath and he started doing stuff with Glove, because Glove didn't really get the credit that he deserved for the chronic stuff, for the doggy style stuff, really. You know what I'm saying? Or really anything like that, like that. He worked with Dre on the deep cover shit. Wow. Right, Mike. He's been around the whole time. He's been around since niggas for life. The Glove been around since niggas for life, Mike. I was thinking the Glove just came around during the firm. You're thinking the firm. No, no, no. He literally says it, so let's get to the firm. The firm is the payback for getting fucked over right. for all of those years. And he said, he's like, Dre's done for me. He's like, Dre paid for my nanny for two years. You know what I'm saying? Like, Interscope has a nanny, apparently. That like, does Iveen, does Dre. The glove had the same nanny for a couple of years. He says it's like a 17-year-old Filipino chip. Okay? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So... Listen to what he says about Mailman because they ask him, they're like, didn't Mailman do Untouchable and throw your guns? There's like, he did. They're like, well, why is Dre on it? He said, I made him put Mailman, put, Dre put his name on there because that's what I had to do. So mm. Dre was going to let Mailman take credit and he was like, oh no, nigga, for all the shit that I done been through, you're going to put your name right next to the shit the same way you made me put my name next to shit. Hmm. You feel me? Like the same way you saying that you co-produce in phone tap is the same way you're going to say you co-produce in untouchable. You feel me? Mm. And so, but, but, but mailman in, in the glove, pretty much all those beats that say co-produced by Dr. Dre, if it says mailman or the glove next to it, it's them pretty much. It's pretty much what he's telling you. And he's the one that bought mailman in who was already part of that Pittsburgh camp. You know what I'm saying? And this is what I mean. Like, like niggas from people understand this about Pittsburgh, and I know this because my family is from Newcastle and Youngstown. Newcastle is only about 30 minutes north west of Pittsburgh, and Youngstown, you can get to Pittsburgh in about an hour, hour 15 from there, okay? They on that player shit. You know what I'm saying? On that funky shit. The same way you got uh what's his name? Uh in Philadelphia, 
in, in East Pennsylvania. No, it's the same funky player shit going on music-wise mm. in West Pennsylvania, in Newcastle, Pittsburgh. You get what I'm saying? And so Dre is pulling from a sound and from a source that people don't often have access to. And he's pulling from the other side of Pennsylvania. He's pulling closer to the Ohio player side. That mm. funky shit, Mike, even in the producer. Sam Sneedenham is from Pittsburgh. Like You can get the literally over to Ohio and get the young Sam from Pittsburgh in about an hour, hour and a half. You wow. feel me? Right. Yeah. And he's got a camp of these guys in there. When you're hearing Sam Sneed on You Better Recognize, that's just Dre on the hook. That's really Sam shit. Mm. You Eric feel Terrell me? with the Super Chat says, um, Bill Belichick won all those chips. He's the greatest coach. Nick Saban has, ha- uh, has helped. He's the greatest. Dr. Dre is the head coach that wins championships, hip-hop sport. I, this is the thing, though. All of those head coaches that Nick Saban and um, Bill Belichick have to play against have the same resources. I think where it's uh, troubling for me is, like I said, imagine if Q-Tip or Pete Rock or Premier or RZA had a team of individuals like that, knowing what knowing what they can do on their own. So that's where, to me, it makes it a little bit difficult it might be one of those situations where we do put Puff and Dre in a different conversation than we do the guys that are just out here basically making beats from the rooter to the toot on their own. And kind of going back to what Game said, like Game goes in the studio, he sees Doc, not Dr. Dre, he sees Kanye West find the record himself, chop the record himself, you know what I'm saying? Lay everything down and then helping you lay down the vocals and sometimes coming with the hook. He's never seen Dre do that. Well, here's the, and he's right. So the people that are saying they've never seen Dre make a beat, this is what they're talking about. Like when Game is saying that, yeah. this is where this is coming from because there's all sorts of evidence of it all over the place. Um, Barney Rubble and Sean Thomas co-produced Murder Was the Case in Gin and Juice as well. So think about it. That's Gin and Juice, What's My Name, and Murder Was the Case all definitely like had like major help. Daz did ain't no fun. Those are those are the those are the four seminal records on there in terms of like how they're remembered. Eric Terrell says singles. Eric Terrell says, why not dog out Rick Rubin? Give Dre a well, break. We're not dogging out anybody. And honestly when it, anybody when it comes to Rick Rubin though, we don't really put him in these production conversations with hip hop. He's more of a he had his era in hip hop. He's more of a just overall producer. Does anybody say that they think that Rick Rubin's a better hip hop producer than Molly Mall? I don't think people say that. No, they don't. I wouldn't say that. Well, well, let, well, let's finish too and wrap some of this up. So, I really feel like after listening to the glove, is that the glove actually did himself a lot of favors by working with Dre because he was able to brand out and branch into other things. And when you watch the interview, we can get back into it, Mike, because I want you to watch it too, because I think you're going to have some piggyback thoughts. Mm -hmm. I'm just glossing over the musical and production side because there's a lot of other stuff to unpack in that interview that I sent you. I think for me, though, and not to cut you off, I think the biggest thing for me is the creative side of it. And I think that it's one thing where, like you said, somebody's playing the course for California Love but who found the record and was like, we're going to flip this into this? And well, I know Warren G was saying that was his role during the chronic time 
to be right. the guy to find the record. The inspiration for the record came from the glove as well as him playing the keys. It's like, oh, you're the inspiration and you're actually the one laying shit down? Because, again, I, I want to get back to Q-Tip because I think that, you know, they kind of mirror each other when it comes to the time period and the innovative nature of, you know, G-Funk and jazz. Not With Q-Tip, it's like, we know Q-Tip found these records. He found we these samples that they used. He was in the same used. record stores with Large Professor and Pete Rock yeah. and DJ Premier, and they all mm-hmm. tell stories about how they were all running around to the same record stores trying to beat each other out for the best samples. Yeah, because when you think about Dilla and Q-Tip, they would find they would find areas in the record that weren't like the first couple of seconds of the record. Like right, They were listening you, to the record. Yeah, you have to listen to Think Twice all the way into like the six-minute mark to hear um what's the song i'm thinking about uh footprints and that right. sample and then after q-tip did footprints then you got lisa lisa using that sample too like q-tip's always the guy who's using that loop first he did the digging and i think that from a creative standpoint i always am amazed by tribes records like yo how did this nigga hear a hip-hop record in this you know, right. and so for me, when it comes to Dre, all the help outside. If Dre was the creative force and say, you know what, this G thing loop, this can be a hip hop record. Cool, kudos. But if somebody gave him that idea, then yes, I do feel different. Well, this is what I mean. Is is like so? <clears throat> okay, but let, let me finish up a couple things. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. That was no, 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 you're perfectly fine. Because <laughs> I kind of, because I kind of, the way that you're starting to feel about the low-end theory with Q-Tip, well, that's how I'm starting to feel about DJ Premier with uh, Moment of Truth. It's like, right. hold on. DJ Premier didn't have no fucking help on the Moment of Truth. And when he yeah. wasn't doing Moment of the Truth, he was giving Biggie, Nas, and Jay-Z some of their best stuff. Yeah. By his damn self. That a million like, in one loop? Moment of Truth. Moment of Truth comes out in 1998, which means they're working on that album sometime in 1996 and 1997, which means he's giving Biggie and Jay-Z and Nas records while he is working on Moment of Truth. That a million in one loop? Crazy. We all heard that Crazy. Aaliyah record, but what he did to it? Million. Mm-mm-mm. That's always impressive Mm-mm. to me when somebody takes a record that you've heard a lot and turns it into something else. Like what Just Blaze did with Kingdom Come with Super Freak. Like, I didn't even realize that was Super Freak when I heard it initially. But listen to what the glove says. And I've been saying this too. He said one, he said the biggest mistake about the firm album was dropping firm biz and not dropping phone tap. He said, How can you hear phone tap and not drop phone tap? Now obviously he might feel that way because now, Mike, now that we're looking that back about it, we know who the real producer of phone tap is, and it's not Dr. Drake. Yeah. Dr. Dre's the arranger of a phone tap. Like like Chris the Glove made phone tap. Listen to what he says. He says, if you drop phone tap, you do two million out the gate, and we're talking today about an album that's probably sold eight million records. I don't know about that, no, but I feel no no no. I mean, look at this guy's resume. Like, like think about it. Look at this guy's resume when he's saying that. Cause think about it. The firm did one 1.5, like, like relatively like, like. Phone tap was like that, Mike. That like they really did lose buzz when they dropped Firm Biz because we were all like, "What the fuck is that?" We You're right because like, if Firm Biz would have came second or third, people would have dealt with it. Right, we would have dealt with it. Yeah. But 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 when you heard Phone Tap, it's like, hold on, you had this, you didn't drop this. The when the producer says that, I think that's strong. The producers well, usually don't talk like that about projects. This is what I'll say about Phone Tap, and I could be wrong, and somebody in the chat correct me if I am wrong. That sound that was on phone tap, I feel like was that next 
phase of aftermath. Well, not next phase, but that was like the beginning and the foundation of aftermath sound. Well, let me finish. It was, and the glove is very important in a lot of ways for better and for worse for his own well-being because here's what I think happened is, is that I think by bringing Melman in for the firm album and by uh, making phone tap and, and records like that, I think he set the blueprint and the template for a couple things. First of all, Melman, like he made sure that Dre put his name on all the records and here's what his rationale was for it. If you just put, and this is what the glove used to say. If you just put my name on the record now, it ain't going to pop. No, nigga, put your name on the record now, even though I did it. And so that set the stage for Dre taking credit for the record, even though the glove was looking at it. It's like, no, I've been getting fucked over for years. I want my get back. I'm going to get more money if it says you co-produced it. Right. You know, so he set the template for the fuckery kind of in a sense in terms of how the credit gets delved up unknowingly trying to get back for the fact that he didn't get credit for a lot of stuff that he did to begin with. Gotcha. During the death row days and during the ruthless days, you feel me? And so he's the one that actually set the template and literally made Dre put Melman on it. And then Dre probably thought about it. And this is guilty conscious speaking. He's like, I need to do this for everybody moving forward because I fucked Chris over at ruthless and death row. And so that's why you see co-produced by, co-produced by. It's not Dre trying to fuck them over. It's actually saying, well, even though you did it, if you put my name on it, it helps you. Yeah, But it's in a bad template in terms of what we know is his. And so here's really what's going on with it at that point. When Dre is realizing all this probably, and he's hearing Melman make beats too, and Glove is not realizing this, the Glove is being replaced slowly and surely by Melman and then Mike Elizondo on 2001. Mm. Because Dre is realizing, oh shit, I can keep on doing this and kind of take Fam's template. Because Glove is the same age as Dre damn near. So he's like, oh no, we getting old. I need some younger dudes, a new sound. So Mailman is actually, and, and Mike Elizondo are actually people who end up replacing the glove in terms of getting those Drake credits. And it's kind of funny, like he cycled through them too, and they all spun out and did other things. Because Mike Elizondo's catalog is damn near as deep as the gloves now, but it all kind of came from putting co-produced by Dr. Dre down. But it really looks like Dre didn't do a lot of this stuff as far as like that Ruta to the Tuda stuff that you're talking about. No, it's been the glove literally up until explosive on 2001 and it feels like finally i don't know it's like it feels like the glove did 2001 with him like explosive that's huge to me that's massive no 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 i don't think you understand dr dre not being the owner of explosive totally is a difference maker not being the owner of what's my name and gin and juice and ain't no fun rat-a-tat-tat Stranded on death row. This isn't just regular records. This is some of the best shit ever, ever. Yeah, and it's all co-produced. And so, Mike Elizondo on in the club. I mean, think about that. It's like, oh, did you do that or did Mike do that? It's like, well, Mike did that apparently. Yeah. You know, so it's like if you're looking at his biggest and best shit, it's like, well, he's really not the author of it because to quote the glove again, Dr. Dre is a project manager and a master sampler. Jay Short with the Super Chat says, journalism is not slander. I agree. And, and, listen, and listen to my final thought, and then we kind of got to get out of here after we cover the little baby thing for like a few minutes. Mm-hmm. This is why you don't see any non-Aftermath California artists really working with Dre, because they're not really working with Dre if they come to work with Dre. 
And that's why Buster is probably not telling you the full details. Like he's having me record over and over and over again. It's like, oh, well, he's not there in the studio live when you're there to pause you or to tell you to stop. He's hearing the records after they're done and telling you what you need to do over again. Oh, oh. you see, I noticed that when you said that, that made me pause for a second. He's having yeah, Buster going over and over again. I'm like, hold on. I'm like, six never had me whole, record whole records over again. But then I thought about it. Six was always right there. It's like, nah, nigga, stop. That makes sense. Uh, do it again. Yeah. I never did a whole song over because my, my executive producer and my producer and my engineer, my rooter to the tutor guy, like my guy did everything. So he was sitting right there with me. I never recorded a whole song over. Never. I did whole takes over. I did ad libs over, did stacks over. I never did a whole song over song over. <laughs> you hear some shit after the fact when you're doing songs over Mike. CJ kid with the super chat says, uh, with all this info, can we say Moment of Truth is better than The Chronic since most of it wasn't even Dre? So do The uh, Chronic and Doggy Style get docked out of the top ten? Not the albums, but maybe the production credit part of it. Because the production albums credit. are what they are. Production credits matter. If yeah. all this shit is co-produced, and, and listen, this is what I'm now, saying if about you what ask me who's the better producer between Q-Tip and Dre, if we're matching up What's the better production job, Q-Tip on the low end theory or Dre on the chronic? Yes, my right. answer might be Q-Tip. Now the an- no, now the answer is Q-Tip and it's clear because here's what we know. It really appears that the glove set the template musically and business-wise by him getting fucked over early on for what Dre does and how he does it. It's like the glove did the early work and didn't get credit. And so the glove got his work for the firm. And some other stuff, you know what I mean? He pretty much got his work moving forward after he got fucked over, which set the template. But it also set the template for Dre putting his name on stuff that he's not the author of. Mm. Mel with the Super Chat says, uh, the firm flopped because the main artists were only on like four songs. Uh, didn't matter what single was released. We wanted to hear Nas, AZ, and Foxy, and we didn't. The firm biz is that, unfortunately. <laughs> right, okay. right. Okay. We gotta, um, Let's get to I the little baby out. I gotta get out of here in a minute, Mike. Okay. So, um, you know, it, does anybody have any? You know, like all of this is stuff that I pulled from Daz and 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 um, in Chris the Glove Taylor interviews. Mm. This is all like facts. So all the information is out there. Stuff. You know, people can go out there, do their googles, and uh, you know, find all this stuff out themselves as well. Uh, Jay Short mm-hmm. says, oh, uh, oh. "So this is why it takes Dre so long. He's not mm-hmm. a perfectionist as advertised." He has all these collaborative parts that he has to piece together. Interesting. So a great way to end this would be Chris the Glove's thought on Compton. This article, I mean, this interview is happening shortly after Compton got released. Listen to what he said about Compton. He said, Compton is too busy. It is. He says, there's no corrupt on there and there's no glove on there. And that's what's wrong with the album. You got to have something for the streets. Hmm. And when he's saying it's too busy, you know what he's saying? You got too many chefs in the kitchen cooking up too many dishes, rambling too much. You don't have any conciseness going on because here's the thing. You're a real project manager now. Now you've got a whole operation of people. You don't just have like Chris the Glove and mailman and Mike, you don't have one or two or three people. You got six, seven, eight, nine people now, and it's harder to get the best of their best and put it together and make it fit. It's too many sounds. That's he's saying nice when he's saying too busy. He's being nice for saying you got too many niggas making beats, nigga. Well, you would think though, as an arranger, 
the Compton album would have been his his time to do that as well. Um, all right, let's get to this little baby album. Yeah, let's get to this little baby album, then I got a dash. All right, cool, cool. Little baby release. Uh, it's only me. And uh, give your thoughts on the album, man, real quick. I'm disappointed. Um, this album doesn't have the growth that I was expecting. He dropped his last album two months before we started our podcast, late January of 2020. I've been singing his praises vehemently ever since. Have I not? Yeah, you have. I've never been a huge fan, to be honest. I'm more. So I'm, I like Gunner's material a little bit more. Me personally, Gunner's album's better. Let's go ahead and get that out the way. Gunner's album is way better. Yeah, this album doesn't show growth in subject matter or content. It's actually a step back or a or or a car parked in neutral at best as far as the subject matter. Because all all it is is the subject matter double down times ten because he has ten times the money. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, first and of so all, uh, 23 songs I thought was just too much, right? The album is too long. So to address the 23 song thing, the album is too long. Mm-hmm. The, the highlights are too few and far in between. Like the joint with Thug, highlight. Joint with Jeremiah, highlight. Highlights are too few and far in between. Um, I thought briefly it's like, well, it's what's going on with our legal system in here in Atlanta, keeping him from speaking the way that he wants to speak and maybe dropping some of the rhetoric records with some rhetoric that may have uh, been better songs, but maybe not well served in these tenuous times that uh, rappers are suffering down here due to the legal system and the judicial system. You feel what I'm saying? Like that some songs that had certain rhetoric get scrapped. You feel me? Possibly. I thought about that. But that's you know what? Now it's time for people to be a real artist, man. Like you know, I no, think. I, it, yeah. Well, that's well that well that would be my problem is is that well this is album number three, and usually your first album is your come up, your second album is your exploration, which was his last album, and your third album is usually where you show what type of artist you are. But this album is very repetitive. I'm going to call out the producers as well. I don't know if the beat selection is his choice, if he has an A and R. Or what type of tracks are being selected to make work or fit a certain format? But there's this album is just so safe. There's no risk being taken, Mike. You know what I think? I think that um, you know him and Gunner have always been joining the hip, and you know how I feel about how creative somebody like a Young Thug is, and how important he is to the nucleus of the guys that are under him. I think the absence of Gunner and Thug in the studio with an artist like this. Their presence is felt. And again, I think this is kind of piggybacking on our previous topic with Dr. Dre. Certain people you need around, even if they're not, quote unquote, helping you write or whatever. I think that he's so used to making music with Gunna around. That's a huge void missing for him. It is. And so I immediately was thinking, it's like, there's no drip too hard. Yeah. You feel me? Like, like there's none of that on here. And then I'm thinking like, oh, well, damn, Gunna's not anywhere around. And then it makes yeah. me start realizing it's like, like, this is why Thug was so serious about signing Gunna. Like, Thug heard it first. Like, Thug, Thug, Thug heard Gunna is like, oh, no, no, no. This nigga know how to put songs together and yeah. like and like ride a wave because it's like these songs, like everything that he does, Mike, that I like, he's doing on this album. But that's part of the problem. It's three years later. Yeah. You feel what I'm saying? Is it's like, no, no, no. I like that from you three years ago. And this is so let's go. And this is what I mean. We were gonna bring up the Freddie album. Well, 
you know, when you're talking about stuff, there's levels to how you talk. And so he's not saying nothing. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But there's no detail in the writing. Like, listen to how Freddie's album starts off. They done let the VLs in the dough. Used to sleep with the air mattress, my bitch and the strap on the float. You feel what I'm saying? He's immediately giving you details of what his life was like before he made it. I told you this is his We Made It album. That's how mm-hmm. you know that he's saying, he's letting you know when he comes in, they done let the VLs in the dope. Used to sleep on the air mattress with my strap and my bitch on the floor. You feel what I'm saying? He's letting you know, oh, no, no, no. That's how we used to live. The baby's talking like that, but he's talking like that in those generalized contextual terms. And it's not exciting. It's very safe. It's very programmed. It's like, you're not really telling me who you are. You're telling me too much about what you do and not what's going on. Yeah, who I'm meeting up with, who I'm able to yeah. eat with now and what yeah, I Yeah, I make got. these investments now with my money. My money looks like this now. Oh, like he said something like Google said I had five million. I got that in my pocket or something like that. It's like, oh, like, why do you care? What the, like, you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. yeah, it's stuff like that. And it's like, I'm just disappointed in the lack of growth mostly. Like some of the songs bang, but I, I'm not going to lie. Most of the songs that bang, they have help. Yep. Um, the song with uh, Nardo Wick, the song with Future, the song with Thug, the song with Jeremiah. There's a couple records on there where he's banging by himself. I would have preferred to hear like maybe a seven track EP and then get back to it, like at the top of the quarter, top of the year, maybe. But this wasn't it. And um, like Gunner's album is just way better. How about this? Like 24 Karat Jacket would be the highlight of this album. I don't even know if it's I don't, I don't think it's the best song on Gunner's album at all. Like it would be the best song on this album, Twenty Four Karat Jacket. Ain't no pushing P on here. Ain't no pushing P on here. Ain't no pushing P on here. Ain't no um. Ain't no the, the Savage and Gunna joint either. Like the, that's what I'm saying is like the Gunna joint got like five or six joints is harder than everything that's on here. And I'm and I am disappointed because he is somebody who I have been championing. And I'm gonna tell you like my daughter was telling me in the car. She's like, you know, I can't understand what he's saying sometimes because of the auto tune. Yeah, I, think I was like, ah, I was like, you think you need to rap? She was like, yeah, it's cool to rap in your regular voice now again. She was like, he might need to get out of that whole auto tune thing. And then she said, she's like, I think he's the only rapper down here that's really still doing that. I was like, yeah. oh, when she said that, that kind of hit me. It's like that, you know, out of the mouth of babes, man. You know what I'm saying? Like she's 15. She's like, I don't think anybody else down here is really doing that. And I was thinking, I was like, what other rappers do be using? Auto-tune? That's why I didn't like when uh, Offset was using the auto tune on the Freddie Gibbs record. I'm like, Offset, what are you doing? Right. No, you're right, Mike, because she made me think when she said that. I was like, oh, I was like, you know, she got them fresh ears. She like, no, nah. she like, niggas ain't doing that out here. Yeah, time to take that auto tune out, man. You know, yeah, auto tune is a crush for a lot of guys. The interviews, and apparently he's become some sort of sex symbol because there's like a lot of girl talk on this album that wasn't on the previous album. You know, but it's I, not I, like, but it's not like stories. It's, there's not no Renee or no I'll be there for you or beautiful skin is none of that it's just like oh i can have anybody i want now because i'm a little baby it's like oh that's great like i don't know if it's his voice for me but it always felt like his breath control was off like he always rapped like he was gasping for you know the next breath and trying to get well, we it really out we don't know because of the auto-tune so how can you even say that for certain yeah i mean so when, that's why i brought that up with the auto-tune i feel like maybe he's trying to mask some of that Maybe. Because he doesn't have the breath control that a gunner or um you know or thug has or anything. I like mean that. I mean Mike, I have I might have to slide with you on the Savage size because uh Savage is showing like growth and depth when he rhymes, you know, I mean, over the last few years and I don't know, but disappointed in the project. Um I gotta go throw a fit on and you know, go do the what show. What time thing. does the show start? 
Coop's about to go see Pusha T. Show's supposed to start at 8, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, he's probably going to hit the stage like 9 or whatever. Okay, before you get out of here, what songs are you looking forward to hearing Pusha T perform the most? Of course, if you know, you know. I feel like that's necessary. You want to know what it would be I want to hear the games we play. It would be nice. I mean, you like the games we play more than I do. Um, <laughs> I personally love King Push, the start to My Name is My Name. I love King Push. I would love if the show starts that way. Um, but you want to know what would really be nice? Because we're in Atlanta. It would be nice if he has brother in tow. And since we're in Atlanta, we get a little illin' and Jeezy comes out and they do illin'. Clips and Jeezy do illin'. That would be what I would like to see the most because we are in Atlanta. And so we stand a chance to get those feature performances the most Yeah, from Atlanta artist. And so he has collabed with Jeezy before either that or Rick Ross with um, Hold On. Well, Rick Ross is probably in town. That's what I'm saying. Rick yeah. Ross and Jeezy are probably in town. So Hold On or Illin. A little, ma- a little malice pull up would be nice to get some. I mean, you know, I want to hear some clips join. If like I can get some, uh, if I can get some keys, open doors and grinding. Yeah. Chinese yeah. New Year. Yeah. Yo, if you can get Chinese wham, New Year. Wham, little wimp, wimp. What it do, what it do. No hotter, flow dropper, sense popper, you panty annie niggas. See, I know copper. Yeah, some of that, some of that. Time to go. Time well, to go. I'm going to let you go ahead and go, man. Enjoy the show. And uh, appreciate everybody dropping in with us, even though we didn't get any notifications. Holler at YouTube about this. We're going to holler at YouTube. No, we're going to have to get on top of that because I'm yeah. starting to feel some type of way. Yeah. These are the games we play. We are the names they say.